Hello, willkommen, bonsoir, I think is appropriate. Uh, welcome to the Armist Inquisition, episode 313 on Sunday, the 21st of January, 2024. I'm Phil. I'm Ben. And I'm Matt. And we're very happy to be joined from across the British Channel in the megalithic area of Karnak, Brittany, by author and independent researcher Howard Crowhurst. How are you, Howard? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, great. Uh, thank you very much. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. I have uh, your book here, The Megalithic right. Planet. In fact, I can throw up a picture. Oh, look at that, the power of computing. There it is, The Megalithic Plan, uh, which is available on your website and Amazon, I think, is it? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's pretty staggering, to be honest. Um, the list of adjectives, adjectives, I could think, to describe the book is pretty exhaustive and uh, you really opened my eyes and, and gave me a new way of looking at these monuments um and i think before we get too far into the book maybe we should start with a, with a bit of a, a potted bio maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself and why you got into researching the megalithic sites and the megalith builders and uh how this came to take over your life as it were yeah um by accident, really. Uh, by coming to live in Karnak, I came to Karnak to live for different reasons, nothing to do with the megaliths. And I went to visit, so I came here in 1985. And I think in 1985, I'd never lived in one place for more than two years during my whole life, <laughs> including my childhood. And uh, when I came here, I saw the, uh, the megalithic, megalithic alignments in Karnak. And I was just blown away. I didn't know they existed. And I, when I saw, oh, what, what on earth is this? And I started checking up on the, the official version and found that there wasn't one. There is still no real official version for what these alignments are. And um, there's sort of vague things about them, vaguely religious and stuff like that, but nothing serious. And uh, that got me really interested. So I was a, a math student. I went to Nottingham University to read maths, but... Um, I wasn't really into maths at Nottingham University, and I left after a year. Uh, and uh, But I've always liked solving problems. <laughs> and so when I discovered the Karnak alignments, I realized it was an incredible problem to be solved. And I started getting very, very interested. Uh, so I started getting in touch with people. Different, there were different sort of, you know, groups of of people who were studying these monuments and um, outside official archaeology because official archaeology just digs, you know. So people have digged in the Karnak alignments and found nothing. 
So archaeology has nothing really to say about it. Uh, so I got in touch with a, quite a lot of different people and finally met this kind of group and association here that was working on the geometry, the uh, orientation, the, the angles, the solstices and all that. And that started getting me really interested. These were people from Wren University students who, you know, uh, on in different subjects who got together to try and sort of join their brains to try and understand something. And that got me really very interested. And, um, and I've been here ever since. So that was in 1985, so that'll be 30 years next year. Wait, it 30? 40, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 40 years next year that I've been living here. Yeah. And basically, I was studying the monuments for about 18 years before I understood anything. I was collating lots of information. I was going to visit. There are hundreds of sites. People don't realize yeah. about Karnak. You know, people see the images of the Karnak alignments, and but there are over 250 dolmens here. There are stone circles, alignments, tumuluses, all sorts of, you know, thousands of monuments. And... Um, so I was pulling in all the information, and then one day something, the penny dropped about one thing. All of a sudden I sort of understood why it was there and why it was orientated, how it was orientated. And then bit by bit, bit by bit, then uh, all the information I'd been sort of collecting sort of fitted in, started fitting in, and then I realized that what I was understanding in Karnak could be applied to ancient sites all over the world, in fact. Uh, the same principles of what I've called astrogeometry, in other words, a kind of geometry linked to the stars, uh, basically the sun and the moon, uh, that that was the basis of um, monuments all over the world. And according to the latitude of these monuments, then the geometry changes, but it's the same principles. Right, got you. Uh, you, right. you mentioned uh, mathematics and geometry. When I, the book first arrived, before I started digging into it, I just had a quick flick through, and I saw uh, lots of angles, uh, triangles, ratios, square roots, root threes. And I'm kind of mathematically phobic. It was my yeah. least my least favorite subject in school. But you did a yeah. really great job in breaking it down and making it easy to understand for a, a general reader or a lay person like me. Mm. Well, yeah, I've been doing this for quite some time because um, a lot of people who are interested in the subject of the megaliths hate mathematics. <laughs> well, no, that is. <laughs> and so most of the people who are interested in hearing what I have to say aren't interested in the mathematical side or the geometrical side of things, although they realize that there's something there. But there's so much sort of emotional stress linked to what they went through in school that it all becomes very difficult. And 
you talked about square roots. Square roots is one of the sort of major problems, isn't it? You know, everything's all right as long as we're adding together whole numbers or dividing them or multiplying them. And then suddenly these square roots intervene where, you know, you get these numbers called irrational numbers which don't really exist. (laughs) Well, they don't really exist. You can never say exactly how, you know, what they were. Unquantifiable, yeah. Yeah, unquantifiable. And um, it's the whole of modern mathematics is based on on what are called real numbers, and these real numbers include irrational numbers. And the whole thing makes things very, very difficult to to take in for people that don't want to go off into some kind of abstract world but want to stay in reality. (laughs) And... It's a very it's very interesting because I've discovered over the years that the ancients were particularly orientated in that way. They were looking to express things in whole numbers and get rid of all these sort of nasty things like pi and the golden ratio, even the golden ratio, which is seen as sort of a beautiful thing. But it's it's a number you can't actually specify precisely, but you can approximate it with fractions and things. And I realized that there was something in this ancient science which was much closer to truth than modern mathematics, yeah. wow. uh, which has gone off on a tangent, basically. Um, and that's when I, when I went to university to study it, I suddenly realized that, I, you know, that it wasn't very interesting, <laughs> that it had gone off on some kind of pure intellectual tangent. And um, there you go. And so this link with, with the ancient world uh, brings things really back into perspective and has led me to realize that the whole of creation is linked is is created with whole numbers. The whole of the cosmos is created with whole numbers, in fact. And we don't see that, modern astrophysicians and mathematicians and people don't actually see it because they can't see it <laughs> because they're so taken up with all their decimal system and fractions and things. But it's quite clear. I can give you a very clear example. It's the planet Jupiter. Jupiter has has major moons going around it. And those moons have linked orbits, linked in whole numbers. So the first moon goes around, say, in one period. Then the second one goes around in two periods. And then the next one in four periods which means that they're never all on the same side at the same time, which means that Jupiter never gets uh, unbalanced. And that's something which is existing in the universe that people have forgotten about. They don't see it, but it's there, you know? Yeah. It's very interesting. And the ancients knew about this, and they, they were in contact with the laws of creation in a very, very profound way. Uh, which we are not today. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Let's uh, let's move on a little bit to the book <laughs> and um, your first discovery, which melted my brain, was the Ludline. Can you tell us a bit about the Ludline? 
Yeah, yeah, that's what I called it. I called it the bloodline. You have to give things names. Um, it's a line that starts uh, in the northwest corner of the British Isles um, at Cape Roth. Cape Roth is right on the, the you know, the, you have a kind of angle at uh, the northwest corner of Scotland. There's a kind of angle like that. And from that very corner where there are very high cliffs, it's very precise geometry, <laughs> vertical cliffs and a corner. And from that point, there is a line which goes right down the whole length of the British Isles, right down to the Isle of Wight, without going through water. And it's the only line you can draw which doesn't actually go through water. It goes very close to going through water in Morecambe Bay. Yeah. Uh, but we have to realize that before the Lud Line, at the moment when the Lud Line was built, uh, the sea level was lower. So Morecambe Bay uh, would have been uh, dry land. Yeah. And so it, it sort of goes through Morecambe Bay. The, it, it just goes inside... Um, um, Inverness, you know, and it goes right down. It's a very interesting line. Maybe I have a. Do you want to see a picture of it? Yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be a good one. Hang on, I've got to. Get, uh, I must have one here because it's rather me sort of putting my hands up like this. <laughs> <laughs> I actually see a picture. Um, a picture paints a thousand words, as they say. It does, doesn't it? Or it Lead line. Here we go. How how am I going to put this up? Hmm, can you screen share? Can I share it? Yeah, try a screen share on Zoom, and hopefully we'll be on to Partager l'écran. Yeah, Excuse screen me. share. Here it is. This one. Can you see that? Yeah, just give me... Oh, there she blows. Window capture... Oh, long leg. I just need to uncrop that. Oh, there's Cape Wrath there. Yeah, we've yeah, got we've it. Got it. We've got it. Yeah. Oh, so it goes there? down. Can you see my mouse? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you have Cape Wrath, and and the point is really the angle. The beginning of the line is really the exact angle, the most northwesterly angle. There's a there's a lighthouse there, and then there's a kind of little rocky crag goes off to the north, and it's right at that specific spot, you know. Yeah. Um, um, maybe I have a picture of that exact position of where that line starts. <laughs> oh, that uh, it's a very isolated spot, you know. Uh, not many people go there. Uh, it takes hours. The roads are awful. Um, Is it from the I, lighthouse, it, did you say, at Cape Wrath? Sorry? It, was it from the lighthouse at Cape Wrath, the starting point? No, no. It's, oh. it, uh, the lighthouse is near. The, it's just right. from from Cape Wrath, uh, it, slightly north. There's a kind of piece of land goes off uh, mm. slightly to the north, and it's from there. 
because I was it's messing... the most northerly point of the British Isles, basically. I was messing around on Google Earth, and I went from the light. Yeah. I, I went from lighthouse to lighthouse, Cape Wrath Lighthouse well, to uh, Milford. Well, that's the lighthouse. You're only a few meters away. You know, it's well, not far. Well, the interesting thing so, is, if I went from lighthouse to lighthouse, this uh, mm-hmm. Lud line passes about 400 meters due west of our current location. You do a thicker oh. line, you'd be right. <laughs> do a thicker line. <laughs> Where are you? Where are you? Preston. Oh, Preston. All right. Okay. Uh, so anyway, it goes from that point. It goes through Scotland, and you can see it doesn't go through the sea on the on the east side. It doesn't go through the sea. On, just here, it doesn't go through the sea. At Morecambe Bay here. It comes very close to going through the sea, but doesn't. goes down here, and it goes through the megalithic site of Castle Rig. It goes through Drummond Castle. Now, that's really very interesting because Drummond Castle is aligned on... Uh, Drummond Castle is aligned on the line. And that's a very interesting question. Yeah, because um, this line isn't orientated cardinally, is it? No. Can you can you see? Mm. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah, we can see the grounds. Uh, uh, I've got a picture of Drummond Castle, which I've put up, but you can't see it for the time being, I suppose. Is that capability? Hang on a second. Up? Where am I? I don't know. Because uh, I can't see you anymore. Hang on. Here we go. Let's let's try. St- this this is Drummond Castle. Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The line goes down that. <laughs> it goes down the main axis. That ac- main axis of Drummond Castle is pointing directly to Avery, 562.5 kilometers away. It's almost and as you as can if they see planted. here, there's a kind of uh, a sort of obelisk with a globe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, really, this is taken from the main doorway of Drummond Castle, and you can see the gardens around it. Um, so all that is quite strange, you know. And um, hang on, there we go. If I come back, if I come back to the line, okay, you see it again. Yeah, yeah. Got the so it goes down, you see, it goes down the angle of Drummond Castle, then goes through Castle Rig, the Stone Circle Castle Rig, right through the center of Averbury, of Averbury Circles. Okay. And that's something, there's actually a line inside Averbury, which a line of stones, which is aligned along it. Yeah. And in in the book, I, it goes through the cove in Avebury and then down through the, the central part of Avebury, and then it goes through the Durrington, the centre of the Durrington shafts. So, I don't know if you know about the Durrington shafts. Well, we um, we visited Stonehenge just under a year ago, but we didn't make it to Durrington. We hit most of the places around there, but not Durrington shafts. Yeah. Well, a couple of years ago, there's an incredible discovery of the Durrington shafts. So um, I'm wondering how I can change these images without closing them down and starting up again. I don't know if I can do that. Um, 
because I could show you the Durrington Durrington shafts. It's very interesting because it was discovered recently there are these massive holes which are uh, five meters deep and ten meters across, circular holes, and they form a square. Okay. Um, hang on, I'll put this up for you if well, you like. We've got it. Durrington. Oh, you've got it there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can see the Durrington shafts. Yes. Yeah. Great. Uh, so you can see the yellow round things there. Right. These are actually holes which are dug in the ground. This is chalk ground, and these are circular holes, ten meters across, so thirty feet across and five meters deep, fifteen, you know, perfectly circular, and they're on a massive circle. <laughs> they create a massive circle, the center of which is inside what's called the Durrington Walls, okay? And the line coming from, um, the line coming, the Ludd line goes straight through the center of this, all right? So I've done a, you know, uh, quite a bit of work on these different, okay? And then it goes through a the Darrington Trout Center and then down to the needles. Now, the western side of the Solent, the Solent is the, uh, the, the water that separates the Isle of Wight from the mainland. Yeah. And that used to be linked when the water was higher, they were linked together. And actually on this line... Uh, at a spot which is now underwater, um, remains have been found from, dating from 7,000 BC. Wow. Yeah. So this line is the longest line you can draw through the British Isles on a vaguely sort of north-south orientation. It's the longest line that can be drawn in the, in the British Isles, basically. The longest line. And uh, doesn't it interact with West Kennet Longborough as well? Well, it interacts with it interacts with the um, the St. Michael line, right. uh, which goes through Averbury as well. So do I have that? St. Michael line. I must have that somewhere. So the one that starts in Lindisfarne. Is that the one that he did? The St. Michael line. No, no, it starts at Land's End. Ah, St. Michael's It starts Mount. at Land's End and then runs up. The, uh, there's, the Michael line is the longest line you can draw. Can you see all my little pictures here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So, yeah, so you see all the... These are all the images that are in the book, the megalithic plan. So you've got a full sort of view on that, but I, I can't seem to find the St. Michael line. St. Michael. Strange. Well, Ladder Michael line. Here you go. Oh, oh yeah. East, East okay, so that is the longest line you can draw on this sort of east-west of going from the most westerly point of the British Isles 
uh, at Land's End, through to the most easterly point at the end of East Anglia at a place called Hopton. So it goes from the most easterly part to the most westerly part of the British Isles, and it goes through Averbury. Hmm. Now, the St. Michael line is not at all my discovery. You know, I mean, um, it's John Michel who first spoke about the St. Michael line uh, many, many years ago uh, in a book called A New View Over Atlantis. And uh, he realized that there was a kind of line of hills and monuments going right across the British Isles. The Ludd line is my discovery for going from Cape Roth down that way. Uh, you know, I've discovered that line. And they go, they cross in the Avery Circle. I mean, what a place to put the largest stone circle in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the whole point because... This is one of the major uh, departure points of the book, is that um, the there is a, a, a Welsh folktale called the Mabinogion, um, and there's one called uh, Lud and Levelis, a story called Lud and Levelis. That's why I called it the Lud line, huh? Because it comes from a story in the Mabinogion called the the, the Lud, uh, it's called Lud and Levelis. And it talks about a problem, uh, three sort of plagues that were besieging the British Isles in some far distant past. I won't go into all three of them, but one of them was the fact that um, on the 1st of May, there was a kind of terrible scream went all the way through the British Isles and everybody was deafened by it and uh, pregnant women lost their babies and uh, people went mad. It was a terrible thing and nobody knew why it was happening and what the remedy for that was. And I, I give all the details in the book, but... I, I reproduced the Mabinogian story in the book on this particular point. And um, Ludd, who was the king of the, the British Isles, his brother was called Levelis, and he was king of France. And Ludd realized that Levelis um, probably knew the answer to this, and so they met up. Uh, in the middle of the, uh, the the channel, in a boat in the middle of the channel, they met up and talked to each other in private. <laughs> and Ludd explained to Levelis that he had to measure the island, the British Isles. He had to draw the longest line he could from the north to the south and the longest line he could from the east to the west. And where those two lines crossed, he had to dig a pit... <laughs> And the reason that there was this scream was that two dragons were fighting. One of the dragons came from Europe and the other was the local dragon. And on the 1st of May, they would meet together and they would fight. And the, 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 the terrible scream, it's a kind of vibration, basically. It's called a scream, but it's a sort of vibration, something that was hitting people's brain. 
And that came from this fight, so that if they dug this big pit, they could capture the two dragons. They had to put um, uh, mead, uh, alcoholic mead, you know, in, and the dragons would come down and drink it and fall asleep, and then they had to cover them over with stones, and uh, that way they would create peace in the British Isles. Very, very interesting story, which really explains the reason that Averbury was built. It's to harmonize uh, these different earth energies, which create disharmony, which can create disharmony if, um, if they're left to themselves. And it, in fact, there's a kind of science which makes it possible to harness these energies to enchant the land, basically. So that's the story. And uh, obviously, the fact that Averbury corresponds exactly, the real Averbury <laughs> corresponds exactly to this, uh, the position that is described in the book, the Welsh book, The Mabinogians, which was published, in fact, published, it was published, but it was written down around the year, around 1100. Based you know, at the based. time of the Doomsday Book, when everybody thought they were going to die, this was information that had been transmitted orally for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, uh, because the Welsh tradition is an oral tradition. You know, the bards would, would tell the story orally. And the oral tradition um, was the basis of ancient tradition. Uh, writing things down, writing was seen as something dead. As soon as you wrote something down, it was dead. It wouldn't move, it couldn't evolve, it, it lost its life. So writing was used to put on tombstones and um, um, swords, weapons, you know, which were linked to killing. Um, whereas any kind of living tradition had to be given orally. And that had been the case because when you when you say something to someone, you can look in their eyes and you can see if they understand what you're saying. Whereas if you write it down and they read it, they may misunderstand it and there's no way you can correct their misunderstanding. So if you want to keep the tradition on the right lines, then it has to be an oral tradition. But around the time of the doomsday, they were, they were so worried that it was going to be the end of the world that they decided to break the tradition and write it down. And these are the Welsh folk tales called the Mabinogion. And one of those is this Luden Levelis story, which explains, really, why the megaliths were built. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, just that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if your book had finished just after you'd outlined the Ludline and the Marco line, I would have been happy with that. But <laughs> well, you go a lot deeper and looking at um, smaller sites in and around the big sites, and again, using uh, units and measuring and geometry to demonstrate a plan on, on a, a much, much bigger scale than what you've just shown us on, on those couple of slides. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, this comes from my work in Karnak. After many years in Karnak, I realized the, the sort of geometry that was being used. And so a big mystery for me in England, and not only for me, for everybody in England, <laughs> is Silbury Hill. Um, because it's a kind of pyramid. It's built with chalk blocks. It's called a hill. We call it Silbury Hill, but we could call it Silbury Pyramid. It's a circular pyramid, and it's built with a big blocks of chalk. So they're big blocks which are placed, you know, side by side and on top of each other. There are six layers. The hill goes up to uh, 40, 40 meters high. It's the highest artificial mound in Europe, and it's perfectly circular. And it's it's in a sort of valley, and nobody knows why is it why it's there. Um, why would you do that? You know, why would you? Why would anybody suddenly build a massive circular hill like that? In you know, well, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's just a it's no, just it's a fertility just cult, Howard. It's just a fertility cult. Don't look any further. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. Yeah, they had nothing to do at weekends. You know, <laughs> they were poor. You know, me. somebody had this strange idea, but. I'll tell you that some archaeologists fairly recently came up with the idea that Silbury Hill was built by accident because there's no explanation for it because it's been dug, you know. They've dug in it from the top down, from the sides. They've dug it in all directions. We were quite convinced it must be a tomb. Um, and they never found any chamber. No chamber has ever been found inside Silbury Hill. And they were hoping to find treasure, you know, uh, but that's what financed the, all the research and the tunnels and things. They were hoping to find sort of, you know, gold and stuff, but they didn't even find a chamber. And so Silbury Hill has become a massive mystery, uh, if nobody's buried in it, what on earth was it for? You know, why build this incredibly, well, biggest artificial hill in, in Europe? Why do that? And um, today it's closed to the public because of all this different tunneling and stuff. Well, it's falling in, you know. It's a real tragedy. It's a real tragedy that nobody talks about. Silbury Hill should be a national heritage monument, you know, uh, just as important as Stonehenge. And it's just close to the public. There's a fence around it. There's a signpost saying you're not allowed to climb up on it. And that's it. And nobody ever goes there. It's just incredible. It's one of the most amazing structures. It's like a pyramid, one of the most amazing structures in the British Isles. And it's just put to one side, you know. Um, so... I've always been very interested in Silbury Hill and always wondered why it was there. It's very close to Averbury. It's obviously part of the Averbury uh, thing, the Averbury complex. I don't know if we can use that word. And 
There's another hill, the second largest hill in the British Isles, artificial hill in the British Isles. It's not far away, at Marlborough, Marlborough Mound. Uh, it's in a public school, so it's it's not really accessible to the public. Um, and there were lots of trees on it which have been cleared off recently. And I realised, and I talk about this in the book, there's a fantastic geometrical relationship between Silbury Hill Marlborough Mound and the centre of Averbridge Circle. These three monuments are perfectly linked together with a precision of one hundredth of a degree within a, a, a very precise geometrical measurement. And what I explain in the book is that these measurements allow us to know the size of the Earth. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the the distance between the centre of Silbury Hill and the centre of Averbury, if you push, they're, they're not north south aligned. They're on a certain angle, nine point two two degrees. You know, if anybody's interested in the angles, but if you put that up to the north south angle, that gives you a distance of. Um, 1,428.57 metres, which is one seventieth or seven hundredth, one seventieth of the Earth's meridian. Uh, if you multiply by seven, you get you get one hundred, and then then you, that's part of the, the Earth's meridian. So basically. The north-south distance between the centre of Averbury and the centre of Silbury Hill enables you to know the size of the Earth. And all the yeah. all the angles you divide, from what I remember, you, you're always working off true north, aren't you? So you, yeah, you, true you, north. Yeah, so, the North Pole. Mm. Right, not magnetic north, which migrates no. around. True north is always yeah. the same, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that's how you derive in your angles. You're taking a true a true north south line and then measuring yeah. the the discrepancy, if you like, and then finding yeah. the relationships. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's what these people. That's what I first understood in in Karnak. I suddenly realised that the cardinal directions were the key to understanding the whole thing. Once you realize, um, because we use the cardinal directions, you know, north, south, east, west, we're very accustomed to it. But where did they come from? Who talked about them first? You know, when do we first hear about the cardinal directions? And it became very clear to me that it was obvious that in the megalithic alignments, everything had been built according to those cardinal directions with specific angles, and all the geometry was linked to north, south, and east-west, yeah. Mm. One of the things I found useful, um, because when you, you, you described that relationship between those two mounds having a direct ratio relationship with the dimensions of the Earth, your immediate mm. thought is, well, is it not just a coincidence? But you put an appendices at the back, didn't you? Appendix 7, which describes... Yeah. Uh, how how this works in mathematical terms, in probability terms. Yeah. Could you explain, like, 
is it how how possible is it for these relationships to be coincidental? It's not possible. Um, I've <laughs> put the things in appendixes in the book, The Megalithic Plan. I have a copy of it here. This is, oh, I don't know if you can see it. This is the hardback version. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. But there are 17 appendixes which give all the kind of, I think 17. Yeah, 17, I think. And there's an index and everything. Um, I did all these appendixes <laughs> because I thought it was interesting to keep the flow of the text and not go into all the sort of mathematical details and explication explanations in the text itself, but put them in indexes so that if people were interested in finding the, the what was behind it, then they could go and study it in the indexes. And, and uh, if, if people just wanted to get the feel of what was happening, they could just read it without necessarily, they could trust me basically. <laughs> And um, if if you don't trust me, then you can check it all up in the appendixes. And the chance of this being a coincidence is zero, really zero, uh, because of the precision of the the geometry. When you link very precise geometry to incredible, incredibly precise measurements then that it becomes impossible for that to be a coincidence. For example, if we go from the centre of Silbury Hill to the centre of Averbury, and from the centre of Averbury down to the centre of Marlborough Mound, it's a right angle, exact right angle, in the Averbury, at the centre of Averbury. So the angle from Silbury Hill to Averbury and the angle from Averbury to Marlborough Mound they're the same angle. One is north-south and the other is east-west. Gives a perfect right angle. That cannot be a coincidence, okay? It can't be a coincidence. So if that is not a coincidence, and we're talking about the two largest mounds in Europe, right? <laughs> so I'm not just picking up any sort of, you know, right. people often accuse, uh, accuse me of what's called cherry-picking, which is, you know, you choose the things that fit into your theories. Um, but uh, I think that that's what the people who criticise me, that's what they do. They choose things in my work which fit into the things that they want to try and disprove. So they're accusing me of what they do themselves. If you look clearly at, at this, then... If you take Silbury Hill, Marlborough Mound, and the centre of Avery Circle, you can't call that cherry picking. These are the most important megalithic monuments in the British Isles, you know? Yeah. So this can't be an accident and it can't be a coincidence. And as, you, as you've read the book, and congratulations huh, to have read it right through <laughs> to the end. Uh, as you've done so, then you realise that all the examples, there are so many examples where the same principles are used. No. This is the, this is the key because uh, if you found one relationship, that will have a certain probability. And you, if you yeah. find two relationships, your probability halves, for example. But I, yeah. I, I, I felt almost assaulted by the time I'd finished <laughs> the book because 
it's one after another, after another, after another, after yeah. another, hammering this point home that there is a relationship yeah. between all these sites that is cons- they're consistent with each other. And there is a, well, as the, pl- the book's called, the megalithic plan. This was a plan. It was thought out. It was conceived of yeah. and implemented. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Well, sorry a- to have assaulted you, but, but <laughs> I, I've, I've, tried, <laughs> I've tried to do this very thoroughly because it's so difficult to accept yeah it's so difficult for people to accept this reality that they criticize me or try and find fault with me uh or or find something wrong or whatever because it's very very difficult to accept that our vision of of the past is totally wrong yeah we live in a kind of fantasy world about us being the sort of, you know, the greatest and the first, and we're the first to have done all this and that and the other. And in fact, what we discover, what I discover is that now we have satellites and Google Earth and GPSs and and all that, we can now start to understand the incredible work that had been done here thousands of years ago. Before that, we couldn't understand it. So um, it's really uh, quite mind-blowing. So the next thing, I, next important point, I think, is Lindisfarne. So Lindisfarne was the most important religious centre in the British Isles in the 8th century, 7th century, 7th century, 7th, 8th century, uh, until the Vikings came and smashed it apart, you know. And um, it's called Holy Island. It's an island uh, off the coast of Northumberland, uh, the coast of Northumberland. Don't know if you've been there. Have you been to Lindisfarne? No. no. Uh, it's a beautiful place. It's a very beautiful place, uh, um, a beautiful island. And it was the home of Cuthbert, St. Cuthbert, uh, lived there and died there. And St. Saint Cuthbert was one of these rare people who didn't decompose on death. Yeah. Oh, what's that called? So he was buried. And um, when the Vikings attacked and they stole all, there was a lot of, you know, uh, gold and stuff in the monastery. It had been there for many years, so it was quite rich. And so the Vikings attacked and stole all the stuff and, you know, killed a lot of people and just for fun. <laughs> and um, the, the monks were very, very worried about Cuthbert, Cuthbert's grave being, uh, um, you know, what's the word, Um, well, spoiled. So they dug him up, and he'd been buried for 60 or 70 years, I think, and his body was still perfectly intact. So that, you know, they they prayed a lot. (laughs) And then they put him in a coffin, and they they went off with him. And there was a big kind of pilgrimage with with St. Cuthbert's body, which lasted for many, many years. They were trying to find a safe place to put him so he wouldn't be attacked, uh, wouldn't be sort of um, 
blasphemed or whatever the word is Des- desecrated by the Vikings. Yeah, desecrated. That's it. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Emma. And so they finally they followed a cow, uh, which stopped <laughs> at the place on the top of a hill in Durham, and that's where Durham Cathedral was built, and that's where Cuthbert is buried. Now, so uh, Durham Cathedral was built later by William the Conqueror after the, the Norman invasion, and it's the first cathedral in the world with uh, um, agival arches, you know, the Gothic structure. Uh, it's not a Gothic cathedral because the major structure isn't built like that, but the actual the nave is built with Gothic architecture. Uh, it's an incredible cathedral. And um, St. Cuthbert is buried there. Now, at the time of Henry VIII was the Reformation, and uh, Henry VIII was co- excommunicated, and he he uh, created the Anglican Church. And so he wanted to bring in as much money as he could. So... Um, uh, he sent out these people to try and bring in all the wealth that may exist in all the churches and cathedrals and things. So his inquisitors or his his people went to Durham Cathedral and they thought, well, there's probably a lot of gold in Cuthbert's tomb. So we're talking now about like 15, 1545 or something like that the middle of the 16th century, 1545, something like that, whereas Cuthbert died in the 7th century, right? And they opened up his tomb, and he was still intact. And that is written down, you know, this is written history. This is not, you know, the guys, they they opened up the tomb and found Cuthbert perfectly intact. And, you know... That they wrote that down in their report. Uh, so Lindisfarne was a special place, <laughs> obviously a very special place. And what I realized when I started studying all this is that it is due north of Silbury Hill. So if you go straight up north from Silbury Hill, you come to the holy island of Lindisfarne. And then I realized that Lindisfarne was linked into the whole, a whole geometrical organization of the megalithic sites in the British Isles. And in particular, the megalith called the Ruston, Rudston monolith, yeah. which is the highest monolith in the British Isles. And which is on a line. If you go from Cape Roth down to the Rudston monolith, you go through Lindisfarne. So I started discovering that there were a whole load of uh, a whole uh, batch of sort of lines like this, which were linking together uh, the most important sites. Also at Lindisfarne, and I was very excited when I was writing about this in the book and making these discoveries. I was very, very overwhelmed about this when I was writing this because the oldest book known. Uh, from the British Isles, is the Lindisfarne Gospels. And uh, the Lindisfarne Gospels, uh, it's the, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the Gospels of the Bible. 
but they have incredible drawings, incredible sketches and pages, which are called the cross carpet pages, which have got a very intricate Celtic design. And uh, I realized when I was studying, so I thought, well, this, this can't be done by accident. So I started studying the design of these Celtic backgrounds in the and realized that they were also a plan. They were they were using exactly the same, uh, the angles were using exactly the same geometry as the ones to be found uh, linking the sites together in the British Isles. So I realized that the monks of Lindisfarne must have had, must have known this ancient knowledge, and they had encoded it geometrical, geometrically in the... Um, uh the graph the graphics of the book yeah so there's a continuity that was, yeah that was incredibly powerful for me when i realized that because it's just so beautiful it's just really beautiful and so there were guardians you see there were guardians of this ancient knowledge who were keeping it alive and and um, that's a very important thing to understand. It's a very mm. romantic notion that I always think. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Could because mm. um, I'm, I'm conscious of time. We're coming up. We've not got long left uh, with you, Howard. But I really wanted you to. Okay, how long does it last? Uh, well, we usually do about an hour. Um, okay. Okay. I really wanted to ask you about. Um, units in particular and, and our modern units and what you found out about the relationship between the modern units we use today and these these uh, megalithic sites? Yeah. This is something which has caused me a lot of controversy, <laughs> um, is that I've discovered that the meter length is in fact a very ancient measurement. And so well, as soon as I say that, People stop listening and start considering me to be uh, uh, an idiot. And so I kept this to myself for many years. <laughs> I'd been discovering quite clearly the use of the meter length in the Karnak alignments. Um, when I looked into the origin of the meter length, Napoleon, uh, the French Revolution and the introduction of the, the meter length, I realized that, in fact, um, the, the, the French revolutionaries had revealed what was the most secret ancient measurement, which was the meter length. They had gone to, after the French Revolution, um, Napoleon led troops to Egypt on a thing called the Egypt Campaign. Uh, 35,000 men invaded Egypt. And he sent them to the pyramid. Well, there's a film come out recently, hasn't there? Ridley Scott's Napoleon film, where they see them shooting with cannons at the pyramids, you know. But what was astounding is that he took with, there were all these troops, but he took with them, you know, 200 of the sort of best French scientists and people. And he got the troops to start digging around the Great Pyramid and getting all the sand away so they could measure it. And then he he came back from Egypt on his own. He left all his troops and everybody there, and he came back on his own. 
across the, the Mediterranean on a boat and came to Toulouse, Toulon, sorry, and then went up to Paris. And several days later, the meter length was announced. And so I realized that the meter length had actually uh, been revealed from probably, I believe, I believe that they tortured the king before they, they kept him alive for a year, the King Louis XVI. And I, I, and I think he had this knowledge and I think they, they tortured him to get the information and then they went to Egypt to check up on it. And they gave that as a universal measurement. And uh, it was announced to be the 40 millionth part of the Earth's meridian. Okay, so it was linked to the size of the Earth, mm -hmm. which is a very interesting fact. And so what's very important to realize is the royal Egyptian cubit, which uh, is 0 0.5236 meters, is linked to the meter by geometry. Okay, so if you take a meter length and you draw a circle, so the perimeter of the circle is pi. Okay, if you have a meter length of the diameter, then the perimeter is pi. If you divide that by six, then the sixth part of it is the length of the royal Egyptian cubit, zero five two three six. So the Royal Egyptian cubit is one-sixth of pi expressed in meters, right? So that is something, this is all true, all right? This is not stuff, anybody can check up on this. Anybody can go on Wikipedia, check up the size of the base of the Great Pyramid, uh, see... You know, it's 440 cubits long, so you, you take the four sides. That's 1,760 cubits, like 1,760 yards in a mile, you know. <laughs> so the size, the base of the Great Pyramid is 1,760 cubits. And if you take all those measurements on Wikipedia, add them together and divide them by 1,760, you get exactly this measurement of 0 0.5236. Anybody can check up on this. This is not you know, just stuff coming from nowhere. And it totally puts into question uh, everything we think we know about history, basically. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. yeah. I, I, there was several moments during reading the book where I think my, my missus was kind of concerned for my health. So I kind of <laughs> went catatonic a few times and mouth open, <laughs> mouth agape, because it's a lot. It's a lot to take in, and it took you, me ten years to write it. I can imagine. Yeah, um, ten years. Yeah, I didn't write it for ten years solid. You know, I, mm. I stopped to eat. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I stopped to do other things. You know because it was very powerful. But it, from the moment I started, the moment I finished, it took 10 years, yeah. Mm. Do you know, I feel like we're just scratching the surface on this conversation, Howard, um, mm -hmm. in an hour, which has gone nowhere. Is there, uh, obviously, you've got a YouTube channel and a website 
Um, the links are in the yeah. show notes for that. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel called howardcrowhurst.com, and um, I publish quite regularly. I've, I've been publishing a few videos um, about the pyramids. I've done one called Karnak and the Pyramid Plan. Uh, there are five episodes of it out, and there's a sixth episode. No, there are four episodes out. The fifth episode will be coming out next week on the sixth episode to follow. Uh, which show exactly how the pyramids are positioned, all the major pyramids, not just the three on the Giza Plateau, but the Bent Pyramid, the Red Pyramid, uh, and how they're all linked together from a a specific obelisk, which is the Heliopolis Obelisk. And if you go from that obelisk and you go to all the pyramids, then you you get perfect geometrical relationships. So they're all linked. Um, so that's on the YouTube channel. And also I have, a, I think, five episodes about Stonehenge. And uh, and slowly, bit by bit, I'm bringing stuff out. I've just finished a full-length feature film in English. Uh, it, it's, it's finished um, last week. A lot of animation. I've been working with a very, very brilliant French guy french the french touch you know um who's done some brilliant animation so uh and this film uh, lasts uh, an hour and 33 minutes and it it shows uh basically it explains all the basis of karnak and um it also goes into gobekli tepe you know the site in turkey and shows how Gebekli Tepe is linked uh, to this same geometry, and um, that that should be out. I can't say who's going to be distributing for the time being. There are different people who are, you know, talking about distributing it, but it'll be out on the internet in the next. Be out on the internet in the next three or four months, I would imagine. You'll have to let us know. Yeah, you'll have to let us know when that arrives, so we can yeah. tell people. About uh, it. So that's that's been a, a, a you know a very long journey getting this film together, and I've had a lot of help. I did crowdfunding on that. Over four hundred people contributed to get the money together to get all these animations done. Nice. Yeah. Fantastic. So that was uh, yeah. It's been a very very interesting. <clears throat> it's a very difficult job, you see, because it's changing totally, trying to change totally the mindset of who we are, where we come from. Uh, and, you know, we live on the basis of an ancient civilization, you know, like the meter length and the cardinal directions and all kinds of things, the musical octave. I go into that in the film. I talk a lot about the musical octave in the film because the octave is is linked to physical vibrations and it's it's very, very important um, um, linked to this sort of true science, you know, because it's physically things resonate and you can't argue about that. Something will resonate or it won't resonate. And... And this all gives us the truth of how physical things are happening. So I go into that in the film quite a lot um, because it's very important. 
And uh, there you go. So that's going to be coming out soon. And uh, if not on Amazon, then I have about, I think, five books in English on Amazon. Mm. Super. Well, links are in the show notes, folks. You should pick up the book. Honestly, anyone who's interested in the megalith builders, prehistory, um, sacred geometry, these sorts of areas, uh, you will have your mind blown. Uh, by the book. Mm. I can't recommend it highly enough. And if you want to come to Karnak, I have a centre here. My son does visits and uh, my daughter has a, has tea rooms and stuff. Oh, <laughs> so we have a kind of centre here in Karnak where we can welcome English people and get them to visit the sites it's not too and far give, them, give them the true view of things. Yeah. Fantastic. Well... This has been uh, this has been superb, Howard. Uh, can't thank you enough for joining us. Um, mm-hmm. No, I was pleased to do so. Yeah. Do you know? I was thinking uh, when I finished the book. Um, you know, when we visit Stonehenge or yeah. Ruston Monolith, our first impressions are often, in my case, uh, the awe is over the the physical achievement, mm. quarrying mm. these stones carving them, transporting them often up to high places and erecting them in circles. And that's your initial sort of uh, sort of quandary. How on earth did they do this? But I think your book's gone a long way to answering probably the more in question, uh, important question is, is why did they do it and why are the sites mm. where they are? And I think you've done a lot to um, help explain that to us. So thanks. Thanks mm. for writing the book. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Okay. Well, it's nice to meet you. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Yeah, why is your channel called the Anything <laughs> Position? <laughs> Any question but that one. <laughs> we don't really have an answer. It it, it started early and stuck, didn't it? Yeah. Toying around the, um, I don't know. It was just a pun on the Spanish Inquisition, it was, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, I think initially, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, no one expects the Amish Inquisition. Exactly. <laughs> Certainly don't. Well, Howard, we shall uh, wrap this up. It's been fantastic. Okay. Um, stay on the line for us for one minute while we play ourselves out. Okay. Links are in the show notes for everyone at watching at home or listening. Pick up the book. Check out the YouTube channel. Subscribe to Howard's YouTube channel. And uh, we'll be back in 10 or 15 minutes to do some news without Howard. All right. Okay. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's go, I think. All right, then we're back. The dwarf. Running bickering! And the mother of madness. <coughs> and a cough. That was our chat with Howard Crowhurst. Yeah. What do you make of that? Good. It was good, it, you know. Um, Knowledgeable. All angles and stuff. And the chances, so you know, it, there does seem to be this kind of um, link between architecture and geometry. Geometry. <laughs> so generally, otherwise things fall over. <laughs> and the ratio to the earth. Yeah, geodesy. Geodesy. Call it. Yeah, geodesy. 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 There is yeah, there are geodetic implications in Howard's work. It's uh, absolutely mind blowing. Can't recommend the book enough. You should pick it up if you're into this kind of stuff. Eavesdroppers. It's really good. It is um, jaw jaw dropping in in several places. Jaw dropping. Totally for me. Yeah, it was good. I really enjoyed it. The links are in the show notes. Well, not these show notes. The 
the main show now. How did you? How did your wife take it when you revealed all these secrets to? I think she was watching like uh, Facebook Reels or something. <laughs> so you know, okay. dogs. Right. Okay. And looking at dogs. Yeah, I don't share the. I don't share my research. I keep it closely guarded to myself. <laughs> I just want to keep the gnosis for myself. <laughs> I'm not sharing it with anyone. Secret knowledge yeah. schools. Yeah. <laughs> Start me on mystery school. You know, I was thinking, oh, I was listening me. to a podcast, and I was thinking <laughs> about inaugurating a rite of passage for my sons. It Does it involve ah. taking a, a brew of ergot? I'd, I, well, I'm open to suggestions. Let me know in the comments. I'm thinking of like modeling on a 12 labors of Hercules kind of thing. You're not going to cast them into the park and they have to stay out there <laughs> and make their own way home. It's up for debate. I, I was thinking like laundry would be the one. <laughs> like, Tidy your room. One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty good on that score. I thought of making a list of things mm. like. Uh, Cooking a meal from scratch. Cooking a meal from scratch. For the family. I thought that would be a good one. Yeah. Well, it's all life skills. Like, this is your transition into adulthood. You know? have, they got you, have you got them at making you brews yet? Tea and coffee? No. No. Get on that, mate. It's life-changing. Is that, is, that what, is that what happens in your household? Absolutely, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I suppose for you, it's just a few buttons as well, isn't it? I just press, press a button, yeah. But that's what they could do for you. Put yeah. the milk in. Yeah, imagine. Imagine if you could get a snooker cue from the living room <laughs> and then hook the cup. Several taped together. <laughs> yeah, and then you could just slide it down the cue yeah. to your arm. Yeah. Okay. If you held the cue in your teeth, you could slide the cup <laughs> right into your face. Yeah, exactly. Drink yeah. the tea. I'll yeah. take that under advisement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. It's, I'm open to suggestions, you know. Okay. I thought that I would make some rules, write it down, make it official. Okay. So, for example, you would receive zero physical assistance in each task. So an adult can be there as a guide or to offer advice. No. But no, you're not not like that. (laughs) No. But you can't physically do anything for them. Another one would be building something. Okay, like a, like a new family home. Well, leave it vague, <laughs> you know, build something. Uh, another idea I had was read a book mm-hmm. and write a review on it. A real what? book, not a kid's book, an adult book, oh. and write a review on it. Okay. Oil change on a motorcycle? Don't have one. Uh, on a escort van? <laughs> a cubie star, you mean? A cubie star, Cubistar. get it right, come on. <laughs> Tank, as I like to call it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's probably a dead... That's probably a... I don't know. It's a useful skill to know. You save yourself hundreds of pounds. It's it's a bit easy, though, because all you do is wait for it to run out of oil and then top it up again. It's about changing the exhaust. <laughs> no, I don't think Gaskets so. Gaskets involved there, have you? Uh, well, maybe. Something mechanical. We could do something, something mechanical. mechanical, yeah. 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 Fixing the washing machine, that would be, like, well up there. <laughs> Opening a can of beans with your teeth. Yeah, get the, I can do the get the dog to show him how to do that. <laughs> he does that. Uh, yeah. What about um, creating a device that flies? Oh, yeah, you know, build something that flies for X seconds. Yeah, it, a challenge. Is it, that, is, that way? This is um, 
in danger of turning into an office away day. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> Tell you what it was. I was. I think it was one of Chris Williamson's podcasts. Oh, And God. it came up in that. It was a good podcast. And they talked about um, initiation rights into adulthood, how they are missing from the current culture. Yeah. And uh, so that was the inspiration. I'll think about it. It might be something I'll do. Anyway, should we get on with the show? Yeah. Well, some headlines. Just two, I think, this week that I picked. Capital letters, a big news story. Headlines of the week. Woman has hamster stuffed to look like a pole dancer with notes in its G-string. Show me the photos. <laughs> there you go. Wow. Oh, no. Now, that is like a Wes Anderson film, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. Fantastic. Wow. It's like Fantastic Mr. Fox, that. Yeah. Like the adult version. I mean... Why? <laughs> is that the word you're looking for? I mean, it doesn't look. It doesn't look as nice as a. Is it a gerbil? Is or a hamster? It's a hamster. Hamster. It doesn't hamsters don't look like that, do they? Yeah, they do. They do. Once this this woman's been unleashed on it on wow. its corpse. Okay. You know, I did. Okay, I bet Saint Cuthbert looked better than that. I know. Yeah. And they dug him up. I'd have put the uh, the notes in like the cheeks of the hamster. You know, use use some of that. So it's like. Oh, stuff I thought notes. you meant ass cheeks. Oh, yes, I did. I. Straight to ass cheeks. <laughs> when a beloved pet dies, there are many ways to memorialize them, from having them cremated to getting a tattoo of them or keeping their collar. One less common way of keeping our pets in our lives is through the art of taxidermy which preserves the stuffs and stuffs the animal. But one pet owner has chosen a much less traditional pose for a beloved hamster. Jess Porter Langson, 27, was devastated when a Roborowski dwarf hamster named Hammington died last August after having him for three years. She wanted to do something special to immortalise him, so found a local taxidermy artist to turn Hammington, also known as Hammy, into a pole-dancing stripper. Jess's iconic pet is captured in all its glory, wearing a bright pink thong stuffed with dollar bills as he hustles for money, mm. uh, clinging to a stripper pole. She keeps the taxidermy piece, which cost her... How much? Ah, oh, fuck, too much. How much? Is it, is it in America? What currency are we talking? It's in the UK. Pounds. Uh, okay, right. uh, 850 quid. pounds. 450? 800 175. Oh, that's We're cheap. Idiots. I thought that. I thought, wow, that's a deal. It is, isn't it? Yeah, she keeps it next to her bed. Jess, a music merchandiser, says the emotional support hamster. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> it wasn't an emotional Come support on, you hamster. You put that in. <laughs> Link in the show notes if you don't believe me. <laughs> the emotional support hamster helped her through her formative years after moving to London in her early 20s. Oh, I'd need help if I moved to London. Yeah, damn right. <laughs> Get stabbed. Oh, this isn't going down. Wow. Just a bit dirty. <laughs> she says she was blown away by the perfect creation, adding, I bought a hamster and that became my little project over the lockdown. I built him an enclosure out of recycled material and, and stuff. It was my hobby. 
ended up having a really long time. We're all living a really long time. I only got the Amsterdam because they lived for one or two years, and that's all I could commit to. <laughs> they lived for three years. That's good going for yeah, Amsterdam. Yeah, that's good going. Yeah, the little yeah. ones last less as well. Hammy died on October 27th, 2023, just shy of three years after I got him. He passed away in his sleep just of old age. A good way to go. Not like flying into a blender or something like like some people's hamsters. Yeah, had hamsters flying into blenders. No, that's that's up there with felching, I think. It's urban myth, aren't it? Yeah. Keep away from Freddie Starr then. When he uh, did it, was he allegedly accused of felching? <laughs> Freddie Starr did something. Freddie Starr ate my hamster. Was that? Um, it was the game. That thing, wasn't it? It was Rockstar ate my hamster oh, by Rockstar uh, Games. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. I think that was a headline, wasn't it? it Freddie was, Star yeah. ate my hamster, not felched. In the maybe it was felched in the sports. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a really big part of my formative life, especially after moving to London. He was my emotional support hamster, which is crazy to say. This hamster was so iconic, and all of my friends knew Hammy and wanted to see him. He needed something special. I don't even know where the stripping hamster thing came from, but uh, I thought, what is more iconic than a hamster on a tripper pole hustling for money? Wow, what is more oh. iconic than that? Not much, I would say. Anything. Are you retarded? <laughs> sorry, wrong one. Oh, my God! <laughs> um, should we move on? Yeah. Yeah, there's not much more to say. Only one more. Dragonfire. Oh. Oh, yeah, I saw this. UK fires high-power laser mm. at aerial targets for first time with intense beam of light able to cut through drones. You found this one, Matt. I did, yeah. Would you like me to talk about it? Oh, that would be lovely. Feel free to speak. You don't need my permission to speak. Oh, well, I thought we did. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, okay. Yeah. but uh, So they've tested it, haven't they, on, on targets, uh, apparently, and it's a high-energy light beam is it not called a a direct energy weapon Uh, i don't know i don't think so from memory i thought it was just a just a laser but apparently it takes 10 seconds not the same thing so 10 seconds blast of the laser is uh the power of something that i can't remember it's probably in the article somewhere running your heater for an hour is that what it was 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 it yeah it can hit a pound coin from a mile away so can I. Interestingly <laughs> enough. With what? Um, An egg. Another pound coin. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. wow. Good arm. That's a skill. Yeah, the UK military has carried out its first high power, high power firing of a laser against aerial targets with the weapon using an intense beam of light to cut through drones. The MOD has said its latest trial of the Dragonfire system. I feel like it should be like Jeremy Irons. Do you know what? It says it, Dragonfire. I remember now. The, the thing that was that was interesting it's, it's cheap that's what it is it's cheap it's cheap so it's, it's instead of like you know having a warhead and munitions and munitions and having to you know build shells and all the rest of it you just you shoot a deadly laser now it's an incredibly sustainable way of killing people <laughs> exactly ah, yeah. yeah of waging war yeah, so it's yeah. just power. Good for the environment. If yeah. it goes tits up, will it just like chop through like a mile of houses and stuff? Well, if it gets more powerful, I imagine, yeah. It'd be like Demolition Man, won't it? <clears throat> yes. He had a laser beam. Wesley Slipes in that. He did, didn't he? Snipes. I think I said Slipes. Mm-hmm. Wesley, Wesley Slipes. Wesley, Wesley Wipes. 
The Wes Wipes. Yeah. It did say in the article I read that the range is classified. Yeah. But it's for, sh- it's for shooting. I, I imagine it's for shooting down missiles and drones. Satellites. And everything. Yeah. Uh, do you not think they have them in satellites already? Probably, I imagine so. If this is in the news, God knows what's uh, out there. Yeah, you I would, know I would I'd say put... we're 20 years behind what they're actually doing. Yeah, I suppose that's a good point, isn't it? If I had a drone, a nefarious drone, <laughs> and I wanted to fly you do? It over this. You do, isn't it? Hey, it's, not, it's not that nefarious. It twats it into castles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, destroy ancient history with it. Um, I would uh, probably attach some sort of parabolic, parabolic mirror to the bottom of it. So the laser is just reflected back. Would it not just destroy the mirror? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have no so idea. Hard. <laughs> I don't know. have a really strong what mirror. You, what you need is a giant fucking lens. <laughs> yeah, it's a giant lenses. <laughs> yeah. And a mirror. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's my understanding that mirrors reflect light. Yeah, but this is like... Certain intensity, isn't there? Yeah, this is like super intense light, Ben. Is this called a laser? light, a laser. I don't know. Maybe it depends on the thickness of the mirror. They must have yeah. something in the in the in the weapon that makes the light beam go in the direction they want it to mm-hmm. when it's generated. So there must be some sort of refractive gubbins in there. Just have some of that on the bottom of your drone. Scatter the laser beam. <clears throat> Didn't I just point it at something? Yeah, but you've got to. Oh, I, don't I don't fucking know. <laughs> it's top secret. <laughs> Not anymore. We're being prepped, aren't we now? For what? For lasers. The, the lasers. <laughs> Star Wars. Lasers, yeah. Dune. Yeah. Las guns. Las guns, yeah. And you know, what's that stuff that they snort on Dune? Spice. 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 Yeah. Some spice. Yeah. Oh, that's already here, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> spice zombie. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's where all the Fremen are. The Fremen. I always read it as I read it as Freeman. Did they call them Fremen in the film? I think I so. Know. Yeah. Right. It's F-R-E-M-E-N. So I read it as Freeman, but it could be Fremen, I suppose. Right, okay. Yeah. Like Freemasons. Was <laughs> deep. Was deep. Mm. Uh, ten pound a shot, the laser gun costs. Oh, uh, shit. As compared to what? how much is it? Ten bullets. How much for a paveway guided missile? Exactly. Ten million. No, no. Fifty grand? Fifty grand. What well, about just a shell? Like a, you know... Artillery shell. Oh, a couple hundred. You reckon? Yeah. To can manufacture a shell. A couple hundred quid. You think? I think, well, uh, economies of scale, isn't it? <laughs> You're doing a h- hundreds of thousands a year. Yeah. You get good at it. Yeah. Same with paveway, laser-guided, surface, uh, air-to-surface bombs. No, mm. it's not too bad, actually. A GBU-12 paveway 2 guided bomb. Mm-hmm. £510. Uh, what? Really? <laughs> That's the way. That's the way. I think I'd buy one if I just have it in the lounge. Yeah. It's a talking point. It's a talking point. Conversation starter. This is actually a laser guided bomb. Laser guided bomb made by Lockheed Martin, and it costs just shy of twenty two thousand dollars. That's not that bad. Hey, is come it? on, I'm pretty close there. Bargain. Fifty grand, yeah. I mean, I could probably afford one of those with a payment plan. <laughs> <laughs> where, where would you put it? Oh, on roof at Yaris. How big are they? You'd have to like, you'd have to drive at sixty, right. slam on, 
And then it'd fire off the roof of the, the jazz, wouldn't it? And obliterate yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the jazz. Sorry, not Yaris. Ten foot long, it might. It won't balance a little bit. Bloody hell, 22 grand for a ten foot bomb. Ten foot long, ten inches in diameter. Give all of it. Is that all? That's what it says, yeah. Wow. It's like Plus my fins. legs. The fins will be extra. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking of something else. <laughs> wow. How many of those have been dropped on the like Iraq? Oh, loads. It's all right. We're not paying for it. And since oh, service God, in 1976. Has it really? Yeah, I guess wow. I'm reading about that because weaponry is quite interesting. It's like a bit of a rabbit hole. Well, you, you like me, you used to play all those flight sim games in the nineties. You got to know all <laughs> yeah, the different yeah. musician, munitions. Sidewinder, Aim Nine M. Yeah, they were both Earthworm missiles, yep. dogfighting missiles. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, the laser has been fired at aerial targets for the first time during a trial in uh, Heb- the Hebrides range in northwest Scotland. It was able to destroy incoming drones from several positions miles away. Uh, it is hoped the weapon could reduce the UK Armed Forces' reliance on high-cost ammunition, with the cost of firing the laser for 10 seconds equivalent to using a regular heater for an hour. What is a regular heater? Like this, this thing. That. <coughs> That's like a pound, isn't it? A pound an hour. Uh, it depends. It's got three modes, one kilowatt, <laughs> two kilowatts, or three kilowatts. So if cool. you have it on one kilowatt hour, one kilowatt as it is now for an hour... Then uh, it depends what your tariff. What do we pay per kilowatt hour? About twenty oh, p. I don't know now. No idea. About twenty p. Something like that. But it did go mental last year, didn't it? I think we were paying over thirty p. At one point. Um, hey, good good news. Grant Shapps is all over this. Ah, oh. uh, Shappers. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He's 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 defence secretary now. Is he? Really? He changes so wow. often. <laughs> I mean, he's he, had all the jobs. He's had all the <laughs> seats around the cabinet, hasn't he? Yes. He just can't find... Where can he do the least damage? Defence. <laughs> oh, well, it's not long to go now, is it? Yeah, Defence Secretary Grant Sharp said, uh, this type of cutting-edge weaponry has the potential to revolutionise the battle space oh. <laughs> by reducing the reliance on expensive ammunition while also lowering the risk of collateral damage. Do you think he wanted to say space battle? <laughs> <laughs> That's... That's subliminal, that. Right? <laughs> Do you not think that's subliminal well, that messaging? I was just about to say, yeah, is that not like a Freudian... Well, not a Freudian, <laughs> but we're, we're moving into space, guys, now. A subconscious yeah. emission into his language. United I do Federation that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Investments with industry partners in advanced technologies like Dragonfire are crucial in a highly contested world, helping us maintain the battle-winning edge and keep the nation safe. That's an interesting thing. They always say precision weapons, don't they? Precision weaponry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, you know, you drop in a, a paved way uh, yes. bomb. <laughs> on it's done. nice a guy did. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. On what? Who a knows? funeral, <laughs> usually. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it just obliterates everything. Red cross. <laughs> and then, like, you know, you, uh, you shoot your laser beam at, a th- at something and it definitely doesn't blow up and then, scatter. you know, if it's flying, scatter debris over you know a mile wide yeah. circumference or whatever yeah what happens you know? if that um that drone is carrying a dirty bomb exactly yeah maybe they want them to be blown up by ah, that'll be the next thing won't it kamikaze stuff that, so i think the, designed the new stuff is actually a vacuum weapon is it yeah it just sucks everything in basically it's oh, like shit. um a black hole that's contained like an antimatter bomb. Exactly, yeah. 
Going back to uh, Angels and Demons. Calling back. Yeah. Call back. Woo. Okay, are we finished with them? I think so. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break. At White House Senior Living, our residents feel right at home. Our vibrant facility offers delightful activities and outings, round-the-clock professional care, and exquisite house-made meals. Well, I've been eating everything that's put in front of me, but I've been eating all, all Italian foods, basically. And ice cream. And ice cream, chocolate chip ice cream. White House Senior Living, where residents feel like presidents. Wow. So bad, that, He's isn't so it? old. But He's only eight. Well, only, but he's eighty, isn't he? But it's just—it's the—it's the cognitive decline, isn't it? That's evident. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's had his head opened up a couple of times, hasn't he? But who no, knows what they scrambled in there <laughs> from the from the beginning of the pres- presidency uh, to now? That you can see a change, yeah. personally. Yeah, I would say so. Some people say no. You, you're making this up. You're just cherry picking. Uh, you know. So he's always, always been fucked, basically. It's a, yeah, it's a joke. Everyone knows it. It's just some people don't want to admit it, unfortunately. I think we said this before, but the, there is a lower limit on the age of presidency. I, think, I feel like 30, there should be a, an upper limit. Yeah. Is it 30 or 35? It's pretty pretty old if you're you know, 15 and want to be the president. The thing is, you could get someone his age who is mm. 100% compass mentors, you know. Yeah. Um. There's no, you can't, you know, it's people who voted for him. Mm. Unfortunately, if people vote for him, it's mob rule. It's democracy. 51% is all you need. It doesn't matter if you're a corpse. 51% people vote for you. If you're Hitler, people, yeah. if the majority votes for you, that's it. You're in power. That's the system. That's the sham, <laughs> the sham of democracy. Democracy is, is, is just an obscenity that must be destroyed. That's Amen. the answer. Proportional representation. No, just don't have a system where someone rules over you. Just throw it out. Start again. Uh, helicopter, big sky, blue sky view. <laughs> Forget what you've been programmed, what you've been taught all your life, and think of something different. On a principle of volunteerism and uh, non-compulsion. And cooperation. Voluntarily. Voluntarily. Anyway, that was Michael Malice. That was one of my ISOs in the show ISOs, but the, it became <coughs> it became uh, prescient to play it. So we'll skip that and see what's coming up next. First on BBC One. Now then, well, now then, <laughs> God, I wish we could go back in time, man. Wow, what a time to be alive! I know pub games, man. This guy's part of my old in his pipe. <laughs> Why that tie? And a white tie. Fred Truman. <laughs> <coughs> now then, welcome to Indoor League, where this week we're going to see the Devil Among the Tailors. That's the old English name for table skittles. And we've got some right dabans here, that's for sure. There's Jim Porter of Doncaster, 75 years old today, who learned the game in between going over the top in the First World War. And young Stan Denton, the Yorkshire champ, who's got Leeds United, the greatest, plastered all over his cardigan. 
But before we see them scrapping at Skittles, just watch the sort of finishing we've been seeing as our darts aces battle it out for a place in the final. Now Hayward on double ten eight over there at four o'clock. Right on the wire. Right on the wire. <laughs> this is class. This is brilliant. Really good. Fuck gladiators. Bring this <laughs> shit back. I, uh... Right on the wire again. You can't get closer. You couldn't get a visiting card in between those dark Jewsbury. And the wire. What the fuck's a visiting card? You couldn't get a visiting like card. A, yeah, you didn't use the yeah. calling cards when you visited the houses with like salesmen or something. I don't know. A visiting card. I've never heard of it before. I thought, yeah. It was a thing in the 70s. We're going to Google it. Bang, and he's just. Oh. Tension here is just too much. Outside. This is Minton. Oh, he's done it. Come on, Minton. Colin Minton of Easingwold, New York, going one leg up on Jerry Haywood of Dewsbury for a place in the final. You can see what happened in the rest of that match in a tick. <laughs> in a tick. <laughs> wow. Love it. This is fantastic. But right now, have a look at a couple of the country's top skittle players dicing it out. They're two cousins from Barnsley Way, and they are both chasing 101 that skittle's knocked over. Dennis Jones, the lad who crouches to swing, owns a chip shop, and Stan Denton in play now is the current Yorkshire champ. And Stan Denton, on 70, needs a miracle. He's knitted that cardigan for him. He's none? I know, look at it. What's going <laughs> on the there? It's the flap. It's not, it's not a, like, a <coughs> collar, it's a flap. It's a cape. It's a <laughs> tiny cape. <laughs> the United <laughs> FC. Yeah. Oh, gave himself up. Bloody hell. Oh, oh, that's the best thing I've seen all week. It is, yeah. Thanks. I, I think it was Amir who sent us that on uh, Instagram. Oh, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Let's bring it back. Let's start a petition. If we get 100,000 signatures, they'll have to debate it in the Houses of Parliament. What was it called again? Indoor, Indoor League. League. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it was it just like on like Yorkshire TV or something. LWT or whatever Yeah. Ah, was it? It was Granada here, wasn't it? It was London Granada, Weekend London Television. Weekend Television was the one down south. Oh, they had one in Yorkshire. TV, yeah, yeah York, I, I Yorkshire TV. I thought it was Yorkshire yeah, TV. Yeah, they had like a Yorkshire like a diagram TV. Of the ladies' parts as the uh, as the logo, but it was a Y. A boob? No, a downstairs ladies' parts. Oh. A vagine. <laughs> it was more a yeah. <laughs> Okay, a uh, quick update from the NHS with some important safety advice. Yeah. Being urged to walk like penguins to avoid slipping in the icy conditions this week. NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde says penguins know best <laughs> when it comes to getting around safely. It wants the public to adopt a penguin stance to increase their stability. The health board admits it might feel silly to waddle like a penguin, but insists it is apparently an effective way of moving around without falling. You heard it here first. There you go. I promise... Is this another compliance test? I know. <sighs> promise made, promise delivered. That's what it sounded like she was going to say then. Promise made, promise delivered. Yeah, it should have been like, walk like Joe Biden. What, a fall? <laughs> fall yeah. up some stairs? Yeah. And then down some stairs. Maybe fall off a bike? Take your skin off your knee. <laughs> I haven't made that up. Walk like a penguin today. You know, it could just protect... Dublin pavements remain very dangerous, <laughs> although this man was not seriously hurt. Slippy, you see. Oh, oh, oh. A 
That's a bad in there. I think he it? kicked himself in the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the deep, deep shame. Oh, shit. On national news yeah, as well. Man, yeah. Oh. The deep shame. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. The shaming. Mm. <laughs> the deep, you know, just the, the internal shame you feel. And something you're publicly embarrassed. Blame the Guinness. You're in Dublin. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Blame the Guinness. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider it as a value. It's a myriad of ways of returning the value to us. And my favourite way, as ever, is word of mouth saying, hey, oh. Listen to this, or watch this. Now then. Put your phone down and listen to this. <laughs> On your phone, maybe. <laughs> Do you not agree? It, wherever you are online, if you're in uh, Facebook groups or um, chat rooms, Telegram. Telegram's a big thing now. Telegram channels. Yeah. Uh, it used to be channels. just terrorist Telegram, didn't it? Back in the day. Yeah, now it's um, extremists like me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, um, spread the, the word and help us get uh, more followers, uh, become more sustaining and increase our reach. That means we can attract, we have a greater scope in who we can attract. To Perhaps come on. You, uh, you run a regional television station. You like could run Yorkshire some, TV. Uh, run some up it, like Yorkshire TV. Yeah. I was just looking up the logo. <laughs> Did it's you more like a yellow it? Y, but I thought, I thought it was more. I remember it being blue. Is it blue? No, it's yellow. Ooh. I don't know, it might have changed over the years. Maybe. It's ITV now, apparently. Is it? Conglomerized. Wow. Yeah. Shite. It's a load of shite. Save on admin costs. Yeah. Has <coughs> everyone subscribed to the newsletter? <coughs> Why would you do that? I don't know, because, you know, maybe you could get, like, a heads up on what guests are coming on in the next month. Maybe you could read an article from yourself. <laughs> you may be able to. You definitely can every month. You can try. Yeah. And that's a regular column in the news. The newsletter's called The Rumspringer. Yes. It comes out the first of every month. The um, sign up link on the website is busted because our website is fake and gay. <laughs> so you've got to email us. Email me at thearmistinquisition at gmail.com and I will manually insert you into a mailing list. Gross. How do you like that? Guide you in. I take your emails, consent. Sounds gross. Promise not to spam you. You just get one a month. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you get a, a discount uh, code for the merch store, which I think is useful. The Amish loot chest. Yeah. And uh, you can buy an example, you know, examples such as these. You are the carbon they want to reduce t-shirt. <laughs> bacon nuts for your Francis Bacon fans. Mugs. We've got three weeks to flatten the earth. My personal favorite. Designed by Lee from The Big Conspire. Literally communist, it's all there. You might as well get 10% off. And uh, you get something to keep, and we get a little a tiny slice <laughs> of the proceeds. We do, help us, help us pay for our incredibly efficient heater. Yes. It keeps us nice and warm here. <laughs> it's bloody hot, actually. It's good. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could join the Element server. I think we've had some one new join recently, haven't we? I think we've had a couple, haven't we? In yeah, last I think week so. Or so. Oh, Emma, Emma joined this week. Emma joined, yes. Um, We've had uh, a couple, I think. I mean, so if you leak in, if you can, if you, if Who's you, if you <laughs> join the server, you need to join all the rooms, and then you can send us news articles, videos, 
audio links, and if they're long, time stamp them. You could also potentially send us show artwork. <coughs> now, I believe we had some submissions this week. Did I didn't see any. Where were they? Oh. In the Element server, I think. All right. You could email. When did they come in? I'm sure they're there. Am uh, I making this up? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Maybe you I are. I seem to remember his face in the middle. Was it for last week? Oh, fuck. Helen did some. Yeah. I totally Bloody forgot. Hell. So you could send us artwork and we'll ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> it saves, oh, uh, sa- normally saves Phil a job and, and I bet he's done all the artwork. Well, look, look what I rustled up here. Yeah. Howard Crowhurst, 313. To be fair, I think that's one of the better ones I've done. Better? The better ones I've done. But yeah, you can submit artwork and we will use it on on the podcast. Unfortunately, Stonehenge is making Howard's neck (laughs) turn into like Mumra. The ever-living. Yeah. But you know, it's a lovely design. God, I was... It's got the Ludline in there. I was on YouTube today and I looked up Mumra's speech. Right. That he gives when he turns into the ever living. Okay. Um, I got there because Busy I was day. I was looking up <laughs> I was looking up the visionaries. Oh yeah, nice in the magical say. realm. Light, light, magical light. You know they had staffs and they would they would they would uh, give an incantation when they wanted the staff magic to appear. Ah, and you wanted to try it yourself. Whispered secrets of a forgotten age. I summon you, renew this sage. Do you say that when you're holding your, your staff? <laughs> I will do from now on. <laughs> nice. Um, show out what we've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, email it to us at thearmsinquisition at gmail.com or drop it in the elements and we will use it. Oh, Gouge his eyes! Gouge your eyes out with it if you want. Yeah, yeah we like to show artwork. It's good. Mm. I should mention, because... Um, we're cracky, we're nearly at the end of January. Helen won the competition last year. Artist, of, artist of the year. Yeah, she uh, she beat Lee four three right, on yeah. artwork, Prolific. artwork uh, used. Right. Okay. okay. So, if we were organised, we could come up with some sort of prize for the yeah. artist of the year. But so there's loads of shit in here we can throw, out like an yeah. iPad or something. Like that Volkswagen badge. <laughs> yeah. That's a real one off a real car. Yeah, it's off my car. Well, I'll totally. give that away. <laughs> We're in all time. Amish Annabelle's not done much for a while, oh, has she? Christ, she needs to go. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could post that Amish Annabelle. <laughs> yeah. uh, how else can you become a producer? Uh, leave us a review. Leave us a review <laughs> and we'll... Uh, if we find it, we'll read it out for you. So you're probably better posting it in the Elements server that you've done it, or you can email us a copy of it and we'll read it out for you. Any kind of comments. If you're on YouTube, sub, like, comment, share, ring the bell, tickle it. Um, hammer that like button. Hammer tickle, it. Tickle the bell. Tickle the bell. Is that a new thing? Yes. What do you do on Instagram now? Uh, Whatever you do on Instagram, do that because we're there as well. Aren't yeah. We? Oh, yeah, we're live on Instagram now. Just part one. It's too much hassle in between shows to in, in between streams to set up yeah. multi streaming on uh, uh, for part two. You can also request birthday shout outs, guest suggestions, and focus G requests. Should say thanks to Matt Chen from the Apocalypse YouTube channel for uh, letting us know about Howard. Oh right, okay. you know I think it was when we were recording with when Matt was our guest one of the yeah. times he. Ah. He mentioned Howard Crowhurst. And you want to get that Crowhurst on you lot? That Crowhurst, hey, that's great. Yeah. Get him on. In a tick. Get put, him on. Put those skittles down. 
<laughs> and get that crow waist on. Yeah. Lad. He's, yeah, he's... Uh, Howard's work deserves a massive audience, man. Like, people wank on about Graham Hancock and, uh, you know, other people in that realm, but... His, his shit is top-notch. I mean, is it Tony top- Robinson. Oh, his, his YouTube channel has 600 and something subscribers. Right. There's a t- and his videos are really well-produced. Like, wow. overhead drone shots and, and shit going on. Nice mm-hmm. graphics. It's like, people should be gobbling this up. So go and subscribe to Howard's channel. Yeah, and ours, if you haven't already. And uh, tingle his bell. Gobble, gobble. Tickle. Yeah, tickle his bell. Tickle his bell. Now then. Tickle his bell. Um, there's probably only one other thing you can do, really. You should toss us a coin. Toss a coin yeah, to give us a donation. Do it for the lads. Lads. If you find uh, the show notes down below, there'll be a PayPal link there, and you can give us a one-off donation or sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation. A crustacean donation. <laughs> sustaining crustacean donation. And that helps us pay the uh, streaming costs and the web hosting and... The uh, le- lecky, mm-hmm. lecky whatnot. Yeah, and it pushes us towards a green agenda. Toilet fluid. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to have to toilet yeah. fluid, don't we? Yeah. Um, oh, buy us a coffee. We're on there. Someone bought coffee recently. Um, mm. That's available to, to to you. If you don't want to just send a PayPal donation, buy us a coffee works. I'll just chuck a few uh, pound coins in an envelope. <laughs> in a brown envelope. Leave it behind bar. I'll pick it up next time I'm in. All right. <laughs> What? It's got him. The accent has got him. <coughs> That's a, a weird one, weren't it? Mm. Yeah, and uh, join the Element server. I need to tell you about Element. I've used Element every single morning for over three years now. It is the way I start every single day. It tastes fantastic. It's a mushroom tea, that you know. Is it? Mm. Gross. <laughs> okay, it's time. It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo, thank the producers for episode uh, 313. We have Emma Bridges, Danny G. Oh, oh, oh Danny G. G. Da, da, da. Danny G. Uh, Helen, artist of the year, and Alia. Thank you. They are, yeah, so amazing in there. Love. Because I'm literally a communist. Dead, dead, dead. The dwarfs. The dwarfs. The The dwarfs. The dwarfs. The dwarfs. The dwarfs. The dime bar. The number 11. The bee gun on the bus. The blind man. The massive girl. Big chungus. The cripple and the mother. Money bickering. From hell. It's shit day. Literally. The best man. I don't get it. Never will. Are you retarded? Just never seems so sus. So sus. So sus. He vents to electrical. Thanks for your support for another week. Keep the uh, the wheels on, the show rolling forward. Uh, I've almost forgotten the housekeeping. I meant to um, give a quick plug for Dom and Chris from the for the Sheep Farm Boys because they've uh, just announced a new live event happening in April in Huddersfield oh. with themselves and DJ Mark Devlin. Ooh. And so I made a note that I should definitely um, 
let people know if they don't already that that is happening. And then I found out today that it's sold out. Oh, it's sold out in Ooh. half a day. Right. Okay. That's good going, isn't it? So, All six uh, tickets. <laughs> All six gone like wow. that. Two each. We got two Good each. Shit. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. you, Fuck you, you lot. spread out of it. <laughs> a menage a trois. Yeah. 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 Well, a sheep farm sandwich. I'm going to be the, the meat. Mm. Do they know? <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. They'll find out. They'll find out April 20th. Mm. So, uh, yeah, unlucky. You missed out. Uh, hopefully, they'll do more. They should do more live events because obviously the demand is there. Yes. Um, so, those of you who are lucky enough to get tickets, I'll see you there. Uh, otherwise, catch you on the next one, maybe. Yeah. Right. Um, what should we do next? Oh, end of show, ISOs, man. Fucking hell. We need a, an iso- isolated clip to finish the show off with, don't we? And uh, this one was on the board from last week, and I don't remember playing it. So I'm wondering if this is a hangover. You tell me, Ben, because you weren't, you weren't here last week, were you? Do you remember this one? Thank you very much for your attention. No. I don't think I used it. I don't it. remember that. All right, so that's option one. Uh, what about <coughs> vigor, Vigorous Pigeon? You are, as always, a Vigorous Pigeon. Oh, Bob. Yes. Liking that. Yeah, I love it. It gets my vote every time. Uh, democracy. Oh, we've heard this already. Democracy is, is, is just an obscenity that must be destroyed. So thank you for your attention, Vigorous Pigeon or Democracy. Train guy, vigorous pigeon. 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 Yes. Pigeon's the winner. You are, as always, a vigorous pigeon. Yeah, okay, we'll yeah. Use that. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's nip over the English Channel to the mainland and visit Davos. Because it's been it's been wef week. France. It's not France, is it? France. It's Switzerland, isn't it? Davros. Yeah. Stavros. Yeah. Yes. And that's where they all meet up. In a tax haven, Switzerland. For the right people, I imagine. Yeah. Everywhere's a tax haven if you that way inclined. Exactly, yeah. Gold uh, gold <laughs> gold is. Ireland certainly, isn't it? It's a corporate tax haven. Yeah. They did in, that on purpose, didn't they? To do it. Well, like on, like Behind all this WEF stuff going on this week, um, China's number two, Xi Jinping's number two in command was in Ireland this week. Mm. Tapping, tapping the, the Irish up. What for? Is he there for the rugby? I'm, I'm sure he sulked it in while he was there. Is it started the Six Nations? Is that what no, it is? I don't think so. It's uh, February. Yeah. A China plane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't Seven think nations. he was there for the rugby somehow. <laughs> yeah. It might come out in the wash. Do you remember it used to be the Five <coughs> Nations? Four nations. Do you remember the four nations? I think, I think, mm. yeah, I remember the four nations. I remember it being just being called the five nations. I seem to remember the four nations. What's the Calcutta Cup? Is that one of them? Or the Tri? There's one. Do you remember the seven nations? <laughs> seven <laughs> nation arms. Seven <laughs> nation army. I remember the World Series of Baseball in just America. Yeah, well, they do that. And Canada. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> just North America. So do you not get some there's some Japanese teams not playing it now? Really? Oh, they might do now. I don't know. I'm just making it up. It's big in Japan, baseball. That's what I mean. They used yeah. to have a few players come over. Yeah. Is there a single baseball team in the UK? I imagine so. Is there no, NFL there's, teams, met, there's loads. There? Is there? There's not a single team, there's loads. Do you think there's loads of baseball teams? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there will no, be, but they just won't be any good, will they? Oh, no. <laughs> of course, British. Yeah. <laughs> like... British basketball, for example, yeah. teams. 
Look, ice hockey. Yeah. Look, just stick to cricket. We can, well, we, we can do decent at that. We're all right. Oh, okay. We're okay, <laughs> aren't we? We're okay. We're in rugby. We're okay. Rugby. Rugby. Cricket. Hockey. Maybe. I think hockey is officially our national sport, you know. Is it? I think. I think. That netball. Yeah. Did we not win... Did the girls not win the World Cup or something? Of netball? Yeah. No, I think they lost to Australia. In the final. In the final, yeah. Right. Did they wear tiny shorts? I don't know. Yeah, probably. And manoeuvrability. Set Blatter. (coughs) Was it Set Blatter who got in trouble for... uh, (laughs) And he's commenting on uh, women's football. Should be tighter and have short shorts. Short, short should be tighter and smaller. Yeah. Is he still alive? I think, I think he, he is, is, isn't he? Yeah, he's still, is he not still battling a number of um, bribery or an embezzlement charges? Maybe. And he, I think he was Swiss, wasn't he? He was. He was Swiss. So let's go over to the WEF. Let's see what they've been doing this week. na. <laughs> No Camarro Anuri, no Camai, no Camuacá, na Anuri, no Yuyuá, na Wahon, Xinambu, Punk, and Tuxinam, Xavauakin, Xinambu, Kikirani, Tsang, Xavakirani, Tsang, Mukikirani. Awamawanana, Awamawanana, no Mahu, no Wai, Wai Sharai. Why should I? Oh, I mean, say it, don't spray it. That is a quite a turnaround, isn't it, from about two years ago? Oh, with the woman singing uh, last year. Oh, well, no, I mean, I mean the, the coughing there. and the oh, coughing to her hands. <laughs> oh, it gets better. That's <laughs> better. Oh, Going don't in. cough on me. No, have some of this. <laughs> Fucking NHS clappers are there <laughs> in the face. Grab your head straight in the face. What is happening? I mean, you know, that's like a very nice, you know, tradition uh, from uh, her culture. I guess so. Um, But, you know, doing it to some fucking CEOs at the WEF. What is, why, you know. Uh, It's it's an ancient curse. (laughs) Maybe, (laughs) maybe. You know. Why didn't I have that queued up? (laughs) Is the correct answer. Well, it obviously is an ancient curse, isn't it? Oh, maybe. When she was rattling on at the beginning with her... um, I've lost it now, it's there. If I was sat in one of those chairs, I'd just be going, Om Nam Shumai, Om Nam Shumai, Om Nam Shumai, Om Nam Shumai, Om Nam Shumai. Mm. Does that give me, give me Molaram vibes? Yeah. Serious Molaram vibes. Wow. Yeah. Freak out. It's the chic. <laughs> <laughs> you never know these days. Yeah, they... Come on. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Let's see what uh, Klaus, Klaus Anal Schwab was going on about. He was talking about AI. Because, you know, that's the, the big hip thing now. AI is going to take over the world and, and ruin everything, apparently. Even though it's. What's the, the term Adam Curry? Uh, it should be called SI, Simulated inter- Intelligence, because that's what it is. Mm. But uh, yeah, I've got a, a swab wanking on here. 
It's interesting. So technology now is, and is uh, digital technology is main. Sorry, look. Is he speaking Native American again? He's got the worst accent, hasn't he? I've turned it down. I, I caught it. mine down a bit. Technology now is, and uh, digital technologies mainly have an analytical power. Now we go into a predictive power, and we have seen the first examples, and your company very much involved into it. But since the next step could be in... He's not dressed up, has he? Yeah, where's his square hat? And is that the robes? guy from Google? Yeah, I mean the tech oh, guys. I, I didn't mean Schwab. <laughs> Schwab hasn't got his Galactic Emperor outfit on, no. But I mean the guy he's talking to is showing up in sweats. Yeah, because yeah, he's a billionaire. Tech bros do. <laughs> yeah, he's like a, he's a, go- a Google billionaire. He should have a turtleneck on. He could probably buy the World Economic Forum. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. To go into a prescriptive uh, mode, which means um, uh, you you do not even have to have elections anymore because no. you can already uh, predict what uh, predict, and afterwards you can say, why do we need elections? Because we know what the result will be. Wow. Yeah, good point. Why, why would bother? you even do that? Why well, would you, why I would kind you, of agree with him. <laughs> why would you even take account of free will? Yeah. To do something. Why would you have to do something in order to make something happen? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Cause and effect. Mm. It boils into like, to effect. kind of like simulation theory, doesn't it? If you have enough computing power to 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 accurately map everything, then you can predict the future accurately. Apparently, wow. I mean, quantum physics and chaos theory and stuff sort of throw a spanner in the works, but mm. there are there are people who think that. It's even possible, but we can barely predict the weather. Right? <laughs> what are you talking about? The computers the aren't, aren't powerful enough yet, Ben. Um, like modeling is so sophisticated. <laughs> Do you not remember foot and mouth disease? You know, when Neil Ferguson came out and modeled foot and mouth disease and said that every, you know, we need to kill kill pretty much everything, everything on four legs in you know in the country. And then taxidermy into straight on his computer model. It was about twenty years ago, wasn't it? Oh, years. same same guy. It's the guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Same guy. Top shagger. Top shagger <laughs> down the drain pipe with swine flu. Yeah. He did the same thing with swine flu. Yeah. But... <coughs> anyway, let's not go down that depressing, covidiot rabbit hole. Oh, I, I nearly did a segment on COVID news this week. I nearly brought it back. Oh, you love it. <laughs> no, I, re- I rejected it because it's more bullshit. More, oh, Nicola Sturgeon's deleted all her WhatsApp messages. Oh, oh of shit. course. Of course. Like, wow. We don't need to play this. We know. Mm. We? we knew that they were never going to be accountable for their massive fuck ups. We'll not talk about excess deaths still being at 8%. Four years on, mm. when they should be below the average because we've had a call, apparently. So who knows what's going on there? It's depressing. Let's go back to Davos. <laughs> this, not, uh, this is not depressing. No, this is good. This is uh, one of the delegates making an apology after um, an unfortunate outburst he'd made the day before. Yesterday, I stood on this stage and said some things that I should not have said. But we all deserve a second chance. I like the black eye. I was going to say. I was going to say, has he got a black eye? Yeah. Yep. He's been... F- <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to apologize to absolutely no one. 
None of you were elected to show yeah. us how we should live our lives. All of you motherfuckers took your private jets to show up to this meeting, so don't lecture us about the environment. I ain't eating bugs, you can eat these nuts, and once again, you and your fake climate agenda can go fuck. Nice. Uh, AI is good. <laughs> I should have um, seen that something was going on there because he had a neck tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I sucked in. Yeah, I got you. I nearly got you. Yeah, that was that was satire. <laughs> but, was it? Yeah, <laughs> for, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. you do get all these videos uh, from like Rebel Media where they, they harass people arriving. Have you seen them? No, because you have to walk from from the hotel to the actual convention, and they, they all get harassed by Rebel Media journalists, which is good fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's fruitless. Pretty much. Mm. I always love the story that comes out every year from the uh, the escort agencies about how the um, they're sold out and there's mm. two and a half grand a night is the going rate in, in Davos week. Wow. Yeah, it's I could wh- make some sweet money. <laughs> you could, couldn't you? I mean, they fly them all in. You should go. I should. I mean, it's, it's what, five, five working days. Ten grand. Twelve and a half. Twelve and a half. Twelve and a half. Yeah, maths. But it yeah. might be euros. Yeah. Probably is euros. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hotbed. <laughs> Literally. For uh, prostitution, Davos. Mm. 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 Yeah. Gotta, gotta what keep... else are you going to do? Snowing. No, there's nothing else. Or skiing, I believe. I believe there's, there's good some good snow. Yeah. There was some good Davos. snow earlier this week, wasn't there? There was. We had snow this week. Yeah. It was nice powder. I think that's what they call it, don't they, when they go skiing? Good powder. Did you get a lot down here in the in the lowlands? In the in the valley. Yeah. Got about an inch, didn't we? Oh, I bet it was deeper than that. I'd say two inches. Wow. Where we well, were, it was two inches deep. Okay. Well, I have a... Don't <laughs> be so dismissive. I, I'd believe you. I'm saying here, it was an inch because there's a hose pipe out there and it just covered the hose pipe. Oh. And that's, you know, 20 mil, which is less than an inch, slightly. So With your thumb. No, it's definitely deeper had. than that. I don't yeah, know how. Yeah. You probably have a different microclimate. Probably. It's probably the... Uh, the bowling green. It's probably all the lead paint around your way. <laughs> yeah. It creates a different climate. It just sucks in all that uh, nice powder. It's probably good for EMFs, that, having lead paint. Yeah, that's what the, the that's band. What someone told me. <laughs> Who was that? Who said that? My, be, that's why houses had lead paint, to protect you. It was uh, a fella talking about sun. The sun. Jacob, wasn't it? That's I think. him. Sun is a deadly laser. Sun is a deadly laser. Yeah, so, you know, I'll be fine. It's just a shame I've got rid of all of my lead-insulated wiring. Uh, all the asbestos is still there, though, right? Yeah, well, the <laughs> asbestos is there. But unfortunately, all the lead wiring is gone. About water pipes. I have my mains feed is still lead. Is it? Yeah. Wow. I just got, I got rid of the lead in the house about four years ago. You get out for it? You weigh it in? Uh, no, the uh, the plumber that we used just, just took it and went with it. Wow. And charged us. Uh, excuse it. me, I don't think you'll be needing that lead. Uh, oh, no, I'm going to stick it in back of the van. I'll get rid of it for you. Cheers. See you. Bye. The, the worst one. It, if, yeah. That is, yeah. Um, a load of flashing in the garage. Yeah. Get it weighed in. Um, I can't lift it. 
The worst was... <laughs> they'll come to you. Oh, okay. We had a bay window that was completely covered. The roof of the bay was covered in lead and a lead valley. And the roofer took all of that. Ah. So that probably would have been worth at least 100 quid, I reckon. And and you paid him. Yeah. <gasps> I know, yeah. I know. Bad, isn't it? Copper. You know, copper tanks. Mm. They're worth a few quid. A few... Well, I mean, everyone, everyone's got combi boilers now, haven't they? So not many people have immersion tanks, but... Used to have them. Yeah, all got ripped out. We'll, we'll, all, be having, we'll all be having them again soon. <laughs> I know. And you need when them you... for the, uh, the fan heaters, don't you? Yeah. You need them for your hot water. Yeah. The, the air pumps won't get your hot water. Yeah. It's just, it's a, uh, Quite like the idea of having a, a ground source heat pump and solar... <laughs> a ground source? Yeah. Wow, that's a big do. Yeah. That's a big uh, job, isn't it? Because yeah. these are the air ones. It's just a big Mitsubishi air yeah, handling unit goes on the side of the house. Looks great. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> when you sat having your, your barbecue on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that would be an issue, actually. Can we not just burn stuff? <laughs> <laughs> hey, guess what? I've been working in a, in a frigid house in Burnley, in Reedley Hallows, right. and uh, he got an open fire going Oh yeah, uh, when he turned up on Thursday. Right. Yeah, it has, it has an open fire. We, mm. we had just bits of wood. And that's it. it. That's all we had. At, well, there's no heating. Right, there's no okay. white. There's no electric. Right, okay. So You're not supposed to be taking care of that. that. Sorted, yeah. I am taking care of that. It's, a, it's an oil system, the heating. I, think I thought you were saying the electricity was an oil system. <laughs> what, what kind was. of wicked electricity is this? Yeah, I know. Oil-based. Oil-based. <laughs> I've had to lay one kilometre of tubes for the electricity. <laughs> oil tubes. Yeah, the oil. I imagine the oil was got quite expensive, didn't it? The oil fire, fired boilers. Dinosaur fuel. Uh, there's no gas, so because it's that rural, they didn't well, this pipe is, gas in. This is where maybe it would make sense. Well, I suppose it's Burnley, though, isn't it? So I don't know if you get to see the sun, um, but having solar panels and and ground source yeah. and ground ground, it's, it's potentially absolutely this way forward and a tank Off-grid. and whatnot. Yeah. And a and a, maybe a, a wind turbine as well, and batteries maybe secure energy sources. <laughs> would that would well, you that need, work? You, you need batteries. That's that's the the problem is batteries. It's redundancy is the issue. When are they going to tax the sun? <laughs> exactly. Well, say you, you want to be able to use lucky at night. Yes, your solar panels aren't going to do you any good there without some sort of storage solution. Mm. I read somewhere this week one source didn't bother reading anywhere else. Why would I? <laughs> Um, that it costs almost the same to charge an electric car than it does to fill a tank of petrol now. Oh. Wow, what a shocker. Didn't see that come in. And they, uh, that well, no, I saw, there was a, yeah, I've seen videos of people dry, trying to charge the cars, stopping, having to stop on the motorway, and it's the same. <coughs> so they're getting the same amount of range for like 20 quid as you would, sorry, less range for 20 quid than you would off a petrol car or yeah. a diesel Car. You have to charge it at home and have renewables at home mm. to make it cheaper, I think. Make any sense yeah, now. You have to have a lot of solar panels to be able to run your house and charge your car. Yeah, charging is a big draw on, on your, your grid. I wish and the other issue is insurance. They need to focus the, their energies on trying to get the efficiency of solar panels up past like 4% or whatever the fuck it is now. Yeah, well, I mean, if you live in, in Preston... Mm. Well, it needs to be up at like 80% or something, and you just have one on top of your car, and it just constantly charges. That'd be ace. Yeah. Dream on! And, um, clouds. 
Well, lights. I mean, like it's, it's, it's like oh shit, it's cloud cover. Yeah. We're, we're light years away from that, I think. Well, I think we're a long way away. Mm. Yeah, definitely. One solar cycle. One solar cycle. Well, one, one procession away. Yeah. yeah. Twenty-five thousand nine hundred and sixty years. Yeah, I think so. What would the world be like one procession away? I don't know. It would be interesting. Tory's still in power. <laughs> yeah. Red, <laughs> blue, probably, yeah. Red versus blue. Et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. Right, so we've done, we've covered electric vehicles, haven't we? Right. So when, sure, you, yeah. when you get an electric car then, Ben? I'm not. I was... I, I admit I had looked at them, um, but A, they're not going to be able to tow a caravan. And B, it's not going to cost me any money, yeah. They can't tow a caravan? No. I thought they would be, had more torque. I thought torque. they had more torque. No, yeah. no, it kills the range. Like it has it. less, it makes it dead. It's pointless. Right, okay. But, uh, right, less ra- right, right, so range is issue. Because Musk had that video <laughs> of him tow, uh, towing a 9-11 faster than a 9-11. Yeah, how long but it was, yeah, it was quarter of a mile or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, so it's range is the issue. Mm. Uh, did you look into insurance? Did you get that For far? Cars, no. They definitely no. don't set on fire, did they, spontaneously? No, no. <laughs> don't get them wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like gremlins. <laughs> don't, don't charge it after midnight and don't get it wet. <laughs> Normal cars set on fire sometimes, but it's because yeah. of electrical faults. So the more electrical shit you have in it, the more lo- chances there are of fault. You would be, you, my battery, batteries get hot on things, don't they? I imagine a car battery gets incredibly hot. Yeah. A lithium battery that's powering a car. Do you think it gets hot? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very volatile. There must be, this is the problem is when they, the, again, going back to the insurance, when they have crashes, um, yeah, this is an unknown quantity. Mm. There's the, the issue of repairs. Mm. You're not gonna, you can't take an electric car to your, your mechanic down the road. I think no. they've got to go to a dealer, manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And uh, bat- the battery part's one of the biggest costs, isn't it? You're talking 10 grand for batteries. Yeah. 10, 12 grand. Lithium fires are difficult to put out as well <laughs> compared to petrol fires. Or diesel doesn't really burn. Yeah, they struggle to put them out when they do catch fire, don't they? Right. We've all seen the videos of them. There was one at Blackpool Beach not long ago. In the summer, it? I think, yeah. And it just it was catching fire tech cars next to it. It's pushing into okay. the sea. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what they have to do, basically. Pick them up with a helicopter and fly to the, the nearest body of water. That's yeah. it, a thermal runaway. Don't I can't see you said Cheech, that. Cheech, Cheech McDuck. Yeah. Yeah, happens when too hot. Bye-bye electric car. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Don't so, get yeah, it hot, no, it's, not, it's not an attractive proposition. The whole battery thing, though, was an issue when the Prius came out. Remember the Prius? Yeah. I love it. Like next door but one to me, he's got one. Yeah, like a fifteen-year-old one. Yeah, there's no taxi drivers. Uber drivers. Yeah, yeah, it's just a diesel. Yeah, there's no way the battery's working in that. No, but it's tax-free. Yeah, no road tax. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's why they run them, isn't it? And there'll be be some other perk, won't there, from the council as well, private hire. Um, but it it, that's what I mean. So it's like seven. It was like this was like how long ago did did they start appearing? About twenty years ago or something. The so Prius. Prius, yeah. Um, and it was an issue then about replacing the battery in them. It was like seven grand. 
to do it, get a new it's Prius battery. Ridiculous. They need to get to the stage where you can go in and like hot swap them. So it's just like yeah. a, I've seen scooters in in probably Japan or Korea somewhere, and you can you can drive up and pull the battery out of a charger, put it in, put your battery back in the charger, and because they're all the same. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's your battery because it's all, all the fucking same. Someone else will come up, and when your battery's charged, they'll swap it for theirs. And mm. That seems like a good idea. I think there's, yeah, I've seen electric scooters in different cities and stuff. Yeah. But I just assume when you park them up, it would charge or something, maybe. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. Scooters and motorbikes are probably a better... A better bet? I don't, maybe, I don't know. Having said it, Having formed the words, I'm doubting myself. My nephew's got a scooter, but it's not an electric one. No. It's just a big pimp. It's got brakes. Oh, yeah. It's massive, yeah. Oh, like an... It's like a giant scooter. It looks like an electric scooter, but it's not electric. All right. And it has brakes and stuff. I was looking at a um, uh, BMW, like a drug dealer's car for oh. work. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm a drug dealer, but it's a... Um, it was a BMW M Sports 3 Series, 3.5 litre petrol. Right. All in black, blacked out, everything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would suit you. My brother's got something like that. Oh, yeah. An M Series. Yeah. They look quite smart. Oh, yeah. It's a beast. Yeah. He's always had nice cars in his lift. No kids. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's whether I can bring myself to trade in the little uh, roller skate. I'd miss a soft top, I think. Would they trade it in? <laughs> yeah, I think it's worth about eight grand, maybe seven grand. Jesus Christ! The second-hand market is depending crazy. on where you sell it. When, sorry, when you sell it. Yeah, so, so when it, when it's dry in the summer, yeah, it's not, definitely not leaking. I think I'd lose about two grand now <laughs> if I sold that. Same with my bike if I sell that, which I'm toying with mm. one of the bikes. Um, sell it in spring. Yeah, people are getting the Yeah. Well, that's because I, I did the insurance on my Honda Jazz mm. 2004. Uh, classic. We, it's a good year. It's a Honda. good year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm having to buy a new wiper arm for it. Doesn't One of them's a bit... Scrap it. It's been hard to find. <laughs> Honda, I went to Honda. I said, so basically all it is is that there's a, spr- there's a tension <coughs> spring... And then there's a clip holding the tension spring onto the wiper arm. The clip that holds the tension spring has snapped. You can you obviously can't buy the spring or the tension the clip that clips it on. So buy the whole arm from Honda, um, and it was something like eighty quid without VAT, so hundred quid or whatever. Yeah. And wiper arm. Have you tried to MacGyver it? Yeah, I've done all. Yeah, so I went onto ebay i've had two springs from china went two one was too small one was too big right. and that's it so there's no no i can't find any other tension springs that might fit um so i've had i've just bought a new wiper arm for it you've been to the, not got to the spring shop no i didn't go to the spring shop no take the old one with you wrong yeah. season for it <laughs> it's Good just point. the clip yeah, so i've had to buy right. a whole new arm for 25 quid for this clip that would cost about ten pence, um, and put the whole new thing on. It's not new; it's obviously scrap. But um, 
Yeah. You know, you know where you've gone wrong, Matt. It's because your parents didn't run you through the twelve trials of Matthew, and one of them is changing the spring at a Honda Jazz. <laughs> exactly. Are you retarded? I know. Um, I was quite proud that I took the wiper arms off. To be honest with you, that was quite that is easy. good. I, I, yeah, I salute you for that. Yeah. Um, based Sigma Chad. Only based Sigma Chads take wiper arms off on their exactly. yazzies. That's what Absolutely. I am. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I hear. Yeah. Sixteen-hour fast. Wiper arms off the jazz. You've done uh, a sixteen-hour fast. No, I don't fuck. All right. <laughs> to get too hungry. Monday it's, to gives me IBS. Monday to Friday, man. It. Uh, <coughs> it. Uh, what's the word? It, it, I can't remember. What it was something. Something about your bowels. <laughs> Stresses my bowels. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Stretches your bowels. Stresses. Oh. Um. So if I, you know, if I leave it, I was finding that uh, I was getting like you know irregular bolus, irregular passes of uh, turds, basically. So oh, now thanks. I'm back, I'm back oh. to having three meals a day now. Unbesmegging, leaveable. I didn't. Did for you analyze the irregularity of the turds? It's just like random, you know, watery poos throughout the day. I'm thinking, this is not right. Were they aligned to the cardinal points? <laughs> they were, if they're not, then... There was along the Lud line. <laughs> the Lud line. Yeah. I laid my own Lud line. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. From I'd east to west in my house. <laughs> oh, north man. to south. Oh, you fixed it by eating it. like a proper human. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, started having... Originally, I was having porridge oats in the morning. Oof. I think I might get into. I've been thinking about starting doing yogurt porridge oats with fruit in the morning. Can you do yogurt? You know, have you heard of doing that? Like, yogurt, you're making your own yogurt oats. Queef or queef? <laughs> <laughs> ben, that's a fanny fart. Kefir? A queef. Something. A kefir. kefir is, is that like a, a type of yogurt? I think so. But no, it'd just be like it's called Greek style yogurt. Because you're not allowed to put granola in. No, so you put porridge oats in it. Right. You mix porridge oats in yogurt. I've done it before, and you put some fruit in it, and that's your breakfast. But you leave it in the overnight oats. Yeah, overnight oats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Supposed to be good for you. Yeah. So I'm thinking I might start doing that in the morning. Phil's just shaking his head. When do you have your button? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What time's Bindlin time? (laughs) It's like, do you think caveman walk up? Oh, stretch his arm out of the cave. Oh, here's my overnight oats. I'll start eating now. I think they might have had a pot on the go next to the fire. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Of something. I don't think so. I, I think you've got you to earn your food. The longevity of cavemen is, is famous as well. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah, like Ramses. Yeah. Honestly, every... Oh, yeah, I'm struck by, by the amount of people who live to 90 years old in history books. Mm-hmm. Still gets to be president. Yeah, but aren't they like the main the main bosses? No, not often. Like uh, that 1666 book, there was uh, was it Christopher Wren lived to ninety. Yeah, he's like a main boss. He's the winners, right? The history books, remember? Yeah, he's the main yeah. boss though. He's like you know he's part of high society, isn't he? He's not like a street urchin. Oh, I don't what know. I mean, I don't know. In terms of the amount of calories, so this is the this my my way I think about it is probably if you. In any time in history, as long as you didn't get any kind of illness or disease or whatever, and you had enough calories, you know, from a range of different sources and like clean water or whatever, then you probably, yeah, you would live to like, you know. Thing is, calories are different today than they were hundreds of years ago. Most of what we're fed is shit. 
Well, like mushrooms, keep them in the dark and feed them shit. Well, I suppose he would. We, well, we don't all. We don't eat you, real would food. You, would you say he would primarily have eaten a uh, wild caught game diet? It'd have been fresh fruit and vegetables. It wouldn't have been fro- flash frozen and shipped halfway across the world. Yeah, he will have eaten locally sourced fresh food. Mine's exclusively like British beef. I eat a lot of British beef Good. and British chicken. Grass fed. I don't know. It's Just injected with antibiotics and all sorts of shit. Pretty sure Morrison stuff isn't. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. It might be soon because they're, they're another one that's been bought on debt, hasn't it? And it's losing loads of money because they can't service it anymore. Yeah. There you go. We've got one more story to do. Have we? Yeah. Yeah. Are you itching to get through it? Well, it's time's marching on. Oh, look. I thought you said. Oh, I, thought, I thought it was twenty-five past. It's quarter to. Mm. You hear about the uh, Wisconsin University of Wisconsin Chancellor who got fired this week? No, but I was just—I've just started recent recent reading Bruce Lipton's uh, book, and he was from the University of Wisconsin, wasn't he? Was oh, he was the tea bag guy? He ran the medical school. Well, he was in the medical school. I thought, yeah. And then did he go to Hawaii? Uh, Montserrat of all Montserrat. places. Montserrat. And then he went. Yeah, that's where he did his uh, PhD. He even realised he had a medical school there. I wonder if it was before, uh, the bet this before the eruption. It would have been, wouldn't it? Because he's talking about the early 90s. 80s, yeah, yeah, late 80s, early 90s. So, yeah, before it all went tits up. Okay, let's go to Wisconsin. Now on to our big story tonight at 9. A former Wisconsin lacrosse chancellor is making national headlines after being fired for creating pornographic content with his wife. Fox 6's Bria Jones joins us live now in the newsroom after speaking with Dr. Joe Gao and his wife about the termination. Bria, what did they have to say today? Well, Sam, Dr. Joe Gao and his wife tell me they are disappointed in the termination because they say the porn they created was consensual and, as they put, they're right to free speech. We are the sexy, happy couple. Uh, (laughs) Specialist. Why would he do this? Today? Yeah, if you're, you're having a job earning, if you're in 250 grand a year, that's what I mean. Yeah. Why would you risk it? It's, it must be something he's getting off on. To okay. the, the risk, yeah. Former yeah. University of Wisconsin lacrosse chancellor Dr. Joe Gao now in the hot seat for videos stemming from his sexy, healthy cooking channel on YouTube. Oh. But it's not what was cooking in the kitchen that has the couple in trouble. We love one another, and so these are not violent videos. They're not exploitative videos. The couple recently started posting pornographic content on adult sites featuring porn stars, costing Gal his job as chancellor, where he earns around $260,000 annually. To hear that you've been fired from your job. Ouch. (laughs) Job a lifer. He's been there for decades. 260K a year. Tenure. It's quite impossible to be fired, <laughs> isn't it, when you're tenured? That's the whole thing, isn't it? That is, wow. wow. After almost 17 years, last night is a pretty stunning thing. In a state- and they wonder why um, tuition fees are so expensive in the States. <laughs> 260 grand a year. Well, the one here ages ago at our university was on more than that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we're we're like ten years behind them. Archer of tuition fees keep going up, don't they? No, I mean uh, the chancellor has got got paid more than him. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying we're catching them up. Our tuition fees are going up. I mean, mm. they're not at the same rates that they're paying. Wisconsin's not a prestigious university. Not saying that UConn is particularly. Yeah. 
you know, it's 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 well known for certain things, isn't it? I don't know. Like journalism, I think, was one thing. It was, certain universities, like Durham's well known for archaeology. Yeah. Um, different universities tend mm. to be special oh. in different things. That's mm-hmm. what, what I'm getting at. It's forensics, our local, I think. Is it? Yeah. Forensics. Oh, cool. That University President Jay Rothman said in part, in recent days we learned of specific conduct by Dr. Gal that has subjected the university to significant reputational harm. The doctor will see you now. I mean, I'd never heard of the University of Wisconsin until <laughs> four minutes ago. So, uh, well, I mean, it's done great absolutely. for the profile. So, the man. reputation is, in my mind, increased. It's a synchronicity for me. Why is that? Because I've just been reading about University of Wisconsin today uh, in a different context. Wow. <laughs> Not about sex stories. Blimey, that's weird because I was reading about sex stories that had nothing <laughs> to do with Wisconsin. <laughs> Harm. Conduct Gal and his wife Carmen Wilson say is their right. I found it very disappointing that the regents approached this the way they did without due process and without conversation. I think that it is vitally important that universities have free speech and free expression, and we have a First Amendment in our country that protects that. Here. Here. Shocking developments that are also impacting students. It's kind of difficult because, yes, he has the freedom to go do whatever he wants, but the university also has the freedom of association. Even if his name isn't necessarily tied to those videos, his face definitely is as... I would say the top figurehead at UWL. Half of it was, it was kind of comical for some students. And then the other half is just kind of embarrassing. Vegan cook, and she's going to show you how to I make thought it. he was a vegan. You see how skeletal he is. <laughs> <laughs> Pasty. Yeah, just thin and ill looking. <laughs> and some kind of weird sex pest. <laughs> to keep it up. Uh. University says Gal is now on paid leave as he transitions to a regular faculty member. Gal tells me he is now considering legal action. For now, the news are on Bria Jones, Fox 6 News. Sue, Carol, Wait, did Sue. he say at all, like, what's next? I mean, we don't really know what happens, but did he say, like, hey, I'm planning on doing this thing next or what? Well, he tells me that he plans to head back into the classroom next fall. They also tell me that they do have more videos that they could put out there. They say right now it's unclear if they will continue to create more content but it is available for them to post. All right, Rhea Jones in the newsroom. Thank you. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Don't what a story. Sexy cooking. Don't know what to make of that. I'm wondering if it is like a sort of a, a some kind of stance against the crackdown on what you could call free speech on campus. How many of those students? Weird do you way think going about it. I know. Yeah. How many of the students do you think have OnlyFans pages? Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? Yeah. Not running in university, though, are they? Pays um, tuition. The difference is they're customers, though. Ah, uh, yes. He's an employee. Right, that's the point. The students pay the bills, aren't they? Yeah. They sad- get saddled themselves with undergrads with the debt. Mm. To go to university run by a porn star. <laughs> yeah, to get one in a degree in gender studies. <laughs> Good luck with that. Oh, right. <laughs> New graduate tax. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you know what? I've gone down a, a, a YouTube rabbit hole. Have you heard of a guy yeah. called Ramsey something? Something Ramsey. And he Ramsey does, Bolton. <laughs> and, and, and he does financial advice. He's an American. Wow. No, no. Yeah. He's supposed to post some links to the element. I, I will Is do. he American? He's, a, he's American. 
But it's just like American. This, the amount the amount of debt that these like people have. And I just can't get my head around it. So it's like hundreds of, so some of them are like <coughs> three hundred and odd thousand just in student loans in, in debt. Obviously it has to get paid back. And then they like have literally some of them hundreds of thousands of dollars on credit cards. That's insane. And then like they come to him and they and he says like this is what you, you need to do. So basically him, his story is like he went bankrupt and then he made hundreds of millions of dollars, has hundreds of millions of dollars in uh what's it called? Um like houses and stuff. Property. Property. Um real estate. Real estate, that's it, yeah. Um and he apparently bought it all with never use it like savings basically. So he talks about a four hundred one k, which I think is a pension pension, pension pot. Um, but he, he says if you add a certain amount for forty years, you'll have a million dollars by the time you retire. Oh, he's talking about index funding. I don't so know. He, he put rather than having a four four hundred one k or a pension, as you call it over here. Oh, you have a Roth IRA instead. What's that? A Roth? I think he talks that's about the those. index. Index. Yeah, it's it's an index link. Well, you just buy shares every month. On an index linked FTSE 100 tracker, what their version of a SIP over here? That's a self investment mm. payment pension, pension plan. So yeah, but he, that's what he talks about. Um, and he kept investing in that, and then he gets his money, and he bought a property, and then he did, did it all over again. And allegedly, that's how he did it all. The idea is that you can't beat the market. There's very few people who can actually beat the stock market. Mm-hmm. But if you just invest in the top 100 countries or the 250, or both. And not just in England, across the world, mm. every market. Eventually, you'll you know your money will gain, but it's this perpetual growth uh, paradigm which people mm. are saying can't go on forever. And so, if you know if it pops before you before you get out, you, you fucked it. But you know, you just got to look after yourself. Yeah, man. Stop buying gold. Have you uh, have you paid off your student loans yet, man? Um, I, when I last looked, I think it was down to 350 quid. Oh, really? That's pretty good. <laughs> a month. <laughs> no, so it's, yeah, so I've got like two payments left, I think. Right, yeah, I, f- I finish in May or June this year, I think. Yeah. Fucking but we've got hell. to remember that mine was, I borrowed 8,000 pounds. I think it was 8,000, or it may have got up to, it might have got up to 8,000. It might not even have been 8,000 pounds um, 22 years ago. It's just right. being paid off now. I've borrowed a hell of a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. That's terrifying. And I've, been, I've only been paying it for... I've never earned enough money until <coughs> very recently to and make any significant... Get, what do you get out of it? I got fat. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that I wasn't ready to leave home at the age of 18. <laughs> I was not mature enough to deal with the world. Yeah, for blokes. We, it's, it's too early for blokes. Um, we're, we're still boys at 18 years old. I, I don't know. Some of, a pe- lot of us. People I was with, a lot of them, well, to be fair, actually, a few of them were older, but some of them were the same age as me were, were more mature than I was <coughs> and, and still are. <laughs> None of them were you. <laughs> well, I don't care how, how, how many years you spend at university. There are some some things that they can't teach, mm. and they're never going to teach you how to be as cool as this guy. Fuck me. 
Carl's fucking snake hips. Do you think that that bit on top is a wig and the and the the bit underneath is like his real hair? How dare you? Isn't that like the, the guy from Spider Man? <laughs> <laughs> Could be. You serious? Okay. <laughs> it's In like, a wig. It, that is. I mean, <laughs> you can see, couldn't you, like forty years ago? Jameson, Jamie James, Jamie, not. Yeah, J J J Jameson, J Jameson. Yeah, yeah. J J. So what he does when he gets what he does when he gets off from was it the Daily Planet was Superman's whatever. What's it called? Daily Bugle. Bugle. Yeah. You serious? got the fucking moves i'll give him this one you know i just can't wait to hear what he sounds like he doesn't look that bad does he really do you not think for a 180 year old man yeah (laughs) fucking clunge magnet exactly (laughs) oh that's a shame I mean, there was a little, there was a lot of tongue work there as well, wasn't there? Yeah, that was a bit creepy, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Why did he record himself? So he's like he's just lost a two hundred sixty thousand dollar job there. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh dear. It's it's late. We need to wrap the show up, man. Dude, sun's getting low. (sighs) I'm tired. I'm tired, boss. Um, Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week, yeah? Yeah. Have you got anywhere else to be? No. <laughs> I got nowhere else to go. Is it a barn raising next week? Oh, is barn raising. Oh. I think we'll put it on YouTube. Just for shits and giggles. Oh, buddy, wow. yeah. What a treat. This incredible team. They are so good. They are an incredible team. Sometimes. Oh, there's a little <laughs> oh, Sometimes it's good, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. See what you get. Yeah, see what you get. Yeah. Yeah, we have fun on it. We always have fun on our barn raising, don't we? Yeah. We always have fun. We're having fun now. And these guys, I mean, they're having fun now, but my goodness, they've also got a dark side. They love yeah, 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 but we yeah, want yeah, to talk to you. Oh, dear. Okay, should we go? Yeah, I think so. See you next week. So long! So long! Until I... Jerk a knot in your ass. So long, gay boy. We'll be there. GK, though. We'll be there. Yes, we will be there. Are you not entertained? Building back better. You're a big chungus. Anna El Etifaki. See you soon. Based Sigma Chad. Just enormous. And not just the length, it's massive. Girth.
Get out of it. Literally a communist. It is bonkers. I think you're hitting hitting the point, Phil, that uh, uh, it really bothers me. Uh, uh, because I, I believe I, I have an issue in this respect. <laughs> That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. It's a fucking freak show. You are, as always, a vigorous pigeon.